A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Morning to you, PJ, on a well deserved break. He's back with you here on the Opinion Line on Thursday morning. This is Gareth O'Callaghan. Wishing you well, wishing you a good start to, uh, I suppose, what is the second week of the Christmas holidays. It's the second day of the new year, 2nd of January, 2024. I always remember when, if you were writing a cheque, now that could be lost on many people, what's a cheque? Um, it would take you a few days to kind of get used to the new year. You know, you'd find cheques being sent back to you saying, <laughs> wrong year. But there you go. A little bit of nostalgia. And uh, it's the time for nostalgia. I'm just looking at the Irish Examiner this morning. They do a wonderful uh, two-page spread on what was the front page stories uh, this week in January back in 1984. And they have all of their top writers actually looking back at what was a seminal year. Uh, Colin Sheridan reporting imagine waking up and realising you've been teleported back to 1984 a cranky old man, a former Hollywood star no less, is president of the US Gareth Fitzgerald is Taoiseach Owen Hand is manager of our national soccer team and Kerry and Cork are All-Ireland football and hurling champions respectively Stevie Wonder was just calling in to say he loved us all in the charts and Big Arnie was terrifying us as a muscle-bound monosyllabic robot. Samantha Fox was a regular on page three and most of us if we were lucky were driving Ford Cortinas now that was the kind of um, that would have been pretty. the Ford Cortina would probably have been the BMW of its day and uh, if, we, if we were well unlucky Colin Sheridan says we had a ladder parked outside the house uh, <laughs> Liverpool won the English League and Everton won the Cup Cabbage Patch Kids were the most delivered toy by Santa Claus in 1984 and Apple's first Macintosh computer went on sale at a cool price of two and a half thousand dollars everyone was everyone was smoking cigarettes and most people the conscientious ones at least were stopping after four pints wait for this to make sure they could drive safely home Anyway, it's, it's it's great stuff. Now there are there are some stories in there from this week back in uh, 1984 that uh, w- were not such good news whatsoever. Uh, 800 Ford jobs go. A hard beginning to the year for much of Cork, with the grim announcement in the Cork Examiner, as it was called then, Fords would close later in the year. The car assembly plant had occupied an outsized place in Cork life since opening in 1917. Uh, it had been located on Lee's side by Henry Ford himself, thanks in large part to his ancestral roots in Ballinascarty, giving rise to the quip that Ford was a Cork company with a Detroit branch. Don't you just love the Cork humour? And also today, we'll come back to that a little later, there's lots of stuff in the Irish Examiner from 1984 today, along with all of the latest news, of course. Um, who remembers Shaken Stevens? I think everybody has some sort of a connection to Shaken Stevens. And he was kind of rocking around the house uh, uh, right up until 1984. He burst into the charts in the early 80s like a kind of a Welsh Elvis Presley, complete with that sleek black quiff. And there's a picture of him in the papers today. Uh, although the, dump, the double denim is now a thing of the past, he's 75 and he has retained a very enviable barnet that any self-respecting rock and roller would be proud of. There's a sort of touch of the Rolling Stones or maybe David Bowie about him. He has aged well, as many would say, and asked how he has maintained 
managed to maintain his trademark style. He says, my hair is still thick on top. I comb and brush my hair every day. Every day I check it and there's nothing wrong with it, basically. It's a good head of hair. I may be one of the lucky ones, but I do look after it. Just going to reach for a tissue here, actually. Um, Yeah, old memories indeed. Fond nostalgia of a time when some of us did have lots of hair. And I think I had a Nick Kershaw mullet back then in 1984. Anyway, uh, in other stories today... Uh, Tánis de Michal Martin, as you heard in the news, has said that it's not feasible to ban children from using social media, but said the government could be stronger in its warnings. I don't really see how. But the Tánis was asked about whether Ireland would consider social media restrictions for young people following reports that the UK government had such plans. And the UK science minister has said that reports of plans requiring teenagers... This will sound a little bit... Um, sort of uh, Jurassic, to get their parents' permission before setting up an account on sites such as Facebook, Instagram and TikTok are just, quote, speculation. The Taunister said he wanted more examples of schools agreeing a contract on how to use social media, but said that telling people what to do does not always work. So there you have it. Uh, that's in uh, the, uh, the Echo, actually, this morning on page four. Now, I'm looking out the window and it's absolutely miserable here in the city this morning and at pretty much all of the county as well. I was coming back on the train from Dublin uh, yesterday and the flooding around North Cork, around Charleville and Buttevant and on up then on the run into Limerick Junction is just it's it's I haven't seen flooding like it I'd say in maybe 10 years and according to the Met people it's going to get worse in the coming weeks and if this morning and New Year's Day was anything to go by uh, it, we're going to have a very very wet January so let's just take ourselves away to sunnier climes maybe lying on um, a nice comfortable fluffy towel beside a swimming pool and sipping something even though it's only 12 minutes past nine in the morning the weather it's been shocking so we're all dreaming of holidays abroad sandy beaches sunshine maybe a week on the the slope skiing owen Curry from air and travel magazine has been taking a look at the holiday hotspots and new destinations for 2024 a light on a dark morning owen good morning to you Oh, good morning, Gareth. This is when the holidays sell. January, 30% of all the holidays of the year get sold. Aer Lingus sale is up and running. Ryanair has had the first of their flash sales. And we have 53 routes from Cork Airport this year back to uh, record levels or close to record levels that we haven't seen for many years. So it's, it's a time to think about travel and uh, start getting the, you know, doing the research. Yeah, I was driving in this morning and it was miserable and I'm looking at the studio window and it's still practically... D- sort of that, that pre-dawn, dark, cloudy look about it. And, you know, it's, it's, if you had the time and if you had the cash available, you'd just go straight to Cork Airport with your passport this morning, wouldn't you? Indeed, and we have four, all four Canary Islands. We had all four Canary Islands uh, direct from Cork. The, um, the real holiday uh, options we have in winter uh, for getting to the sun are pretty limited in Ireland. Uh, everybody talked about, you know, Dubai and the Caribbean and places like that. But realistically, if you're going to get in maybe for a short break, maybe four days, maybe seven, uh, if you're going to get down, you're, you're looking at uh, Spain isn't warm enough yet. Uh, some of the Greek islands would sort of say, they're, yeah, we're warm enough. But realistically, you're talking about those four 
key islands, uh, the Canary Islands, four hours away, a little bit more than four hours, and uh, down and back, where people are very familiar. Oddly enough, Gareth, if you look at, uh, I'm a great man for looking at patterns, data, booking patterns, airline routes, all of that. If you look all across Europe, um, Canary Islands is a huge destination for all of them. The number one destination for almost all of them are, is Grand Canaria. That's our number two because we have this love affair with Lanzarote. Mm-hmm. Uh, number two is Grand Canaria. A lot of Irish uh, bars, resorts, noisy, boisterous resorts, and also lovely natural parks, national parks there. And then the third one is Tenerife with that huge mountain, Mount Tita. People used to think of it as the highest mountain in the world before they discovered Everest. And Fuerteventura, which is the nice, quiet, beachy place. They're absolute gems. Uh, they're, they're all accessible direct from Cork. As I say, it's been a while since we got that. Yeah. Las Americas, isn't that Gran Canaria? That's it, and um, the uh, Gran Canaria, the, the sort of the boisterous resorts are down on the south of the island. Uh, you can actually, uh, it's, it's about the size of about County Waterford, I think it is in turn, but so you can actually drive, if you hire a car, you can actually get out into the mountains, this beautiful mountainous area. And there are beaches that you have to park the car and walk about four miles to get to. Absolutely gorgeous. So it's not all about the party. But I, if I know Cork people, they're going to go to the party for a few days. And then, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you, you'll always find us in the kitchen at parties. I love it. I love the shaking Stevens. It's all about the hair, you know. That's where that's where Pink Floyd went wrong. You know, yeah. the Rolling Stones and Shaking Stevens with this mop of hair and as you yeah. do yourself, Gareth. So it's marvellous. Yeah. Oh, sure, look, this is it. You bring a separate bottle of sunblock for your scalp, you know, and that's a bad sign, really, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have that issue, so you don't have to worry. <laughs> yeah, as I say, looking after your hair is not something that comes in. I don't think I ever remember looking after it. Just keeps growing. I mean, they, uh, my hairdresser is a comp with a carpet factory somewhere. So that's great. <laughs> it's a good sign. Um, Fuerteventura has become so popular with Cork travellers now in the last couple of years. I was only just talking to a couple of people who are heading back out now as soon as the flights resume, which I think is about mid-February, end of February. Will it be very popular this year? It won't be. Um, it won't even compete with Lanzarote and Gran yeah. Canaria. But the realist, the realistically, it's a huge option. It makes the, it helps the other ones to work because uh, people are out for the quieter time uh, and small children and things like that. It's ideal for them. You look at the numbers going from Ireland to Gran Canaria and to Lanzarote. I sort of say to the Canaries. They you. And you total the numbers going to Greece and Turkey, two of our big holiday destinations. They don't reach what the Ireland, Ireland does to the Canaries. Uh, part of it is accident. There are, by the way, other uh, holiday options not out of Cork that you can get in winter. Morocco uh, has a Ryanair service in some way have services down there. And there's two flights a week to Funchal, Madeira, um, Madeira. Very different kind of island. People think uh, Madeira is going to be the Canaries. It's not. There aren't actually any beaches. You can get a little ferry over to a beautiful island called Porto Santo with a beautiful beach there. But uh, it's a very different sort of product. It all comes back to the Canaries. In wintertime, it's all about the Canaries. Yeah. Just mentioning Madeira, I, I was actually on um, Porto Santo and it is, it's it's like something, uh, it's probably like the little island that Tom Hanks got washed up on in, in Castaway. <laughs> it's, it's just idyllic, isn't it? It's just beautiful. <laughs> I would, I would imagine Tom Hanks arriving in Porto Santo would probably cause uh, a, a panic, a tidal wave sort of a panic. But it is a beautiful spot, and it's because it's separated from Madeira. You know, Madeira is a different demographic. 
And they have always talked about, you know, oh, we'll get children here. But the reality is it's a mountainous sort of day. It's like driving around, like the Ring of Kerry. You have beautiful views, beautiful, uh, famous sort of gardens. And they say they're a little bit people that go there and a little bit older. Unkind travel agents say they're uh, the newlywed and the nearly dead. But that's <laughs> not exactly true. And uh, oddly enough, can, Tenerife has a small a touch of the same thing. It's not the boisterous party up on night thing that you yeah. get in Manzarati or Gran Canaria and there is a beautiful island off Tenerife again a ferry not the long ferry called La Gomera where I spent quite a while a few weeks ago and a few years ago pre-pandemic and it's um, it's a bit like Tenerife would have been 20-30 years ago aren't they so they tell me I'm not yeah. I'm too young to remember and they um, it's a, a great another great uh, Canaries option. Yeah. I, uh, when it actually reminded me there of when I was on that beautiful island, uh, Puerto Santo, they had this most magnificent health spa uh, centre. And um, yeah, one, one of the treatments I did was they lay, they lay me down into what effectively looks like a, a kind of a... It was almost like a casket. And they, they poured sand into me right up to my neck. So the only thing you could see was my head. And uh, you're, you're, you're naked under, underneath this because apparently the tiny, there's tiny little insects in the sand that nibble away at, uh, the, <laughs> at your skin. And you emerge looking sort of 10 years younger, apparently. I saw that movie in the horror channel at 2 a.m. There are all sorts of wondrous... It never ceases to astound me what people think of in spa treatments. One of the controversial ones is where they put you into water and these fish, flesh-eating fish, come along and nibble your skin and take yeah. all the dried skin pieces away. It's controversial from an animal rights point of view because obviously these fish are going to get overfed at some stage. <laughs> but you're absolutely right. A wonderful uh, hot stone, sand, anything that... And um, you know what? It's some, it, even if it doesn't have all the effects that uh, the very lavish marketing campaigns tell you, even doing it is a great feeling. Um, yeah. Doing those exotic uh, massages and exotic sort of um, treatments that they have abroad. Uh, one of my own favourite notes, were very far away, it was in India, was where I had somebody standing on my back um, and using his feet, you know, using a rope sort of to swing onto me. And, yeah, you know, sort of bouncing on my back with his feet and trying to get all the, the fissures out of him and the muscle, all the mm. sporting injuries out of the way. A bit like being caught at the bottom of a scrum at Cork Constitution <laughs> without all that, yeah. without the stud marks, you know. Yeah, well, it's actually reminded me of an old newspaper editor I used to work for. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, move, move, moving on. They were, they were moving swiftly along while the, the learned gentlemen are take their notebooks out to see who's going to get mentioned and can launch a lawsuit. That's it. Oh, and just, I know uh, places like Albafera and uh, Alvora yeah. and that along, that, that beautiful stretch of Portugal there, it's not fashionable really from a weather perspective to go there, but there are fantastic bargains to be had if you want to go there at the moment, aren't there? Absolutely. The, the way um, the prices will work is that it takes a while for them to rev up to the sort of the very high summer levels and the summer prices in Portugal and uh, south of Spain which are our favourite playgrounds they've gone up uh, by about 20% post-pandemic but you've got to remember that uh, different markets and it's all about the markets that move different markets move at different paces um, we've got uh, a very good love affair with the Algarve oddly enough and it's something I never thought I'd see happen the number of Irish going to the Algarve in 23 was higher 
than the number of people going to the Algarve from Germany when you consider the size and the population of Germany. Uh, one of the, the advantages we have is St. Patrick's Day. We have a bank holiday when nobody else has. It's a lovely time of the year because the sun is just about revving up and mm-hmm. um, you get very good prices around then. June is a hidden weapon for the Irish market as well because if, unless your, um, your poor unfortunate uh, offspring are doing exams, you will be off early in June and the British who transport an awful lot of people to the same sort of places we go aren't off till July, sometimes the second week in July. So and we, we have school, anywhere just gives us a little advantage of the school holidays. That's important in Spain, that's important in the Algarve, in Portugal. It's also important in France with those camping holidays, which are really important. Mm-hmm. Uh, as you know, ferry services in Cork have a long tradition and um, bring, it's a great way to go away with teenagers, especially when they've their demands move, and the demands move on. Yeah. Uh, it, it's a fantastic place to bring uh, a, a, a family that's spread over several, uh, several. And if you're going by ferry, then you can get more than two children because the way the international travel industry treats you, um, you're, if you have a third child, you're up there with terrorists, drug dealers, and uh, people smugglers among the unwanted. You know, <laughs> anyone with a third child has serious difficulty navigating uh, accommodation and even the flights. Yeah, I had to hear they're in Alicante at the moment so it's probably a quiet time around the city um, t- short trips to New York are all the rage too out of Dublin at the yeah, moment absolutely. aren't they New York's a big one for us and I'll tell you why we've got a new service we don't often get new services to New York but we have a new service to New York now um, from JetBlue they're a low cost airline not in the Ryanair sense because they have a business class and a premium economy class and they're flying Boston and New York seasonal only for the summer that has had a knock-on effect. Uh, Aer Lingus' sale, I just started the item by saying Aer Lingus' the sale. It was €179, Garrett, one way to New York. I haven't seen that sort of price since just after the uh, global financial recession. Mm-hmm. And um, we have the services to... Um, uh, JFK um, from Delta, Aer Lingus and now JetBlue are also, you've got to remember that Newark in the other side has got uh, the United and also Aer Lingus and really important, uh, Shannon Airport has got uh, a lot of competition on the New York uh, route this year because Delta are returning to JFK in the summer, Aer Lingus fly JFK and United fly to Newark so Anywhere you've got more than two operators on a route, it's very, very good for your prices. And uh, we're very familiar with New York. We treat New York like, a, uh, as the old saying goes, the parish next to Castletown Bear or, the, uh, or Allahees as you're going west. And uh, we are very familiar with it because uh, everyone over there is at least a third cousin. Yeah. I, I, and yeah, I mean, when you consider that, like for prices like that, 175 euro one way, uh, and uh, you, you still got change out of 400, but you know, on your return trip, yeah, yeah, it's, it's amazing. It's difficult yeah. to get. It's difficult to get those prices. They tend to be sort of a, yeah. a Wednesday in March or whatever, and it, when you get them in one direction, it's difficult to get to the other. But yeah. you will get out and back for less than your thousand, and and um, yeah, I also notice. Uh, you know, that Toronto is hugely overserved. You know, we four carriers on the Toronto route. So you can, you got anywhere you've got more than one carrier, it's worth a look. Um, and there's two new, uh, three new, um, 
uh, American Roots out of Dublin this year, Denver, Colorado, terrific state, beautiful, one of the most beautiful states, a uh, huge favourite of mine. That's uh, starting in, in, in June, I think it is, from mm. Erlingus or the end of May. And uh, Minneapolis, which Erlingus had before they're returning. And then without any publicity whatsoever, and I haven't seen a line written about it in any newspaper or heard anything on any station apart from my own uh, when I'm talking, is Minneapolis have also got a new... Uh, Delta service because um, you know United Aer Lingus get all the publicity but when you've got two people flying Minneapolis St. Paul a huge Irish presence it's the headquarters of the Irish American Cultural Institution uh, it's on the gateway to the Great Lakes in Great Lake, a beautiful part of America uh, that's new with two carriers from nowhere over the, over the summer People who have listened to me before will have heard me say that it takes about a year for an airline to make it money on the road. So in that time, it's when the passengers can play because they get the um, benefit of lower prices, almost promotional fares, almost lost leaders on a new route. And there are four or five new routes out of Cork as well. We really weren't looking at what Ryanair are doing out of Cork this summer. Uh, they're, they've, they've been expanding um, bit by bit, uh, and we have a new. Uh, uh, we've already had our first of the new uh, Cork routes open just before Christmas, Leon, with um, Aer Lingus, mm. and we have uh, t um, uh, three. Uh, I think it's three uh, new routes from Ryanair: um, uh, Zadar in Croatia, uh, Gouroads in um, Rhodes in the Greek island, mm. uh, and the other one is a more a business route. It's Charleroi to uh, Brussels, and that'll be starting in. in March, uh, it's a Brussels route for, uh, um, directly from Cork. Yeah, there's an amazing amount of information, but when you look at the destinations, they're, they're well worth trying to get to. One final 53, question. 53 routes, it's a, it's, we're back, yeah. you know, when we think, <clears throat> before pandemic, we only had about 40, so it's great to see Cork. And the main thing is now, because we've seen Cork routes come and go, we saw uh, Cork routes open and they're not uh, being supported enough by local people. It's really important that the routes be supported. Yeah, they've had a great Christmas, that's for sure, and hopefully it'll continue on to this year. Uh, just for, for those a little more adventurous, um, I was reading a lot over the last few weeks on, on uh, lo locations in South America, and I was actually watching Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid yesterday afternoon, and they, they headed to Bolivia. Uh, but how, well, it wasn't quite for a holiday, obviously, but what, what, what are the popular locations in, in places like Central and South America? Okay, this is a bird that came from nowhere, and it only came in Ireland. It's Costa Rica. Oh, and yeah. I don't know how it happened. Like, uh, if we were all, like every year, we all, you know, we all pat ourselves in the back and say, oh, how knowledgeable we are. Oh, we're great. And particularly the influencers, you know, the ones that take a picture of themselves with a gin and tonic at the pool. <laughs> but those guys, they're all, they're all saying, oh, I can boost your holiday market. Costa Rica really was not something in January 2023 I'd have talked about at all. And the bookings went through the roof. And I think that it was the fares. I think it was the connections. The way the Air Canada connection in particular through Toronto worked out, um, there was very, very good fares on the market, in the Irish market. And the uh, Costa Rica bookings were, you know, they were racing, not exactly, there's never, uh, Lanzarote isn't going to have to close down anytime soon. But it was, we were putting it from number 53 up to number 20 sort of stuff. And uh, that's very interesting. No, that was very, we, we, our big my big disappointment, I expect it, and I still expect in 2025 
a direct flight to South America from Ireland. Mm. We don't have any, and I'm pretty sure that Sao Paulo, because of the number of Brazilians, anyone who's been to Dublin would know the beautiful sound of that Portuguese accent in the city of all that Brazilian community. Because they know our big Brazilian community, we are going to get a direct Brazil route. It didn't happen in 2024. I'd be looking forward to getting it in 2025. And the Portuguese spoken by people from Portugal is very harsh by comparison with the way the Brazilians like an Italian, a sing-song accent, and it's gorgeous uh, to hear. So it's great to see that community in Dublin, and it's great to see the possibility of a direct flight. My favourite... Everyone says about uh, Machu Picchu, Peru, you've got to mm-hmm. do it. It's one of those things you go take your picture and move on. Um, it's a big hike up the mountains of altitude and you get that sense of having achieved something by doing it. But my favourite South American com- country by a mile is Colombia. Wow. It's um, got the highest number of uh, birds uh, in you know different bird species in the world where they won't dwell on the, the bird watching in Colombia controversy that was back 20 years ago but it is genuine that the Colombia everywhere you go there's this amazing bird song and um, while Cartagena is sort of the place people go particularly if they've been on a Caribbean cruise if you go inland to the lush rainforest to swim in water, you know, in a little mountain stream that's going to end up in the Amazon. Mm. It's just magnificent. And then go over a mountain and there, the water is all pouring into the Atlantic and the Pacific coast in Colombia is gorgeous. My favourite of this one. Now, I'm very difficult to, to say a favourite because I fall in love very easily. Um, heart, the care the heart to choke is what the French call it when you're, uh, you keep falling in love as each outer leaf falls off it. But I do love Colombia. Wow. You've painted a beautiful picture. Just one, one quick question. If you had to pick one place in the entire world that you absolutely adore, that, uh, you know, if, if, if suddenly it was announced that uh, everybody needs to get out of Ireland as soon as possible, where would you head to? Uh, not to live, but I, I, I love Ireland above everywhere else. I would never live anywhere else. But I do love um, Africa. Uh, it, it's something that makes my heart beat faster. Uh, somewhere like Malawi or Namibia. Uh-huh. Uh, they're absolutely gorgeous countries. And then the wildlife experience, it's fragile environment. I don't think we'll be doing it forever. I think in 10, 15 years' time, they'll start shutting it down. It's something to do at the moment. But oddly enough, I do love Ireland and the places that I love when I go around the world that uh, I really feel at home with are the ones that remind me closely of Ireland, parts of New Zealand, parts of Tasmania, Oregon and the United States. And somewhere daft that nobody in their right mind would ever go is the Faroe Islands, halfway between Norway and Iceland, cold, wet, uh, foggy, battered by the Atlantic, and I adore it there. Oh, right. Fantastic. Owen, always a joy to talk to you. Happy New always Year to you. Always a great pleasure. Happy New Year to all your listeners, Gareth. Uh, thank thank you. you very much. That's uh, Owen Curry. What a delight to chat to him on a morning like this morning, uh, particularly. And I was just about to say before we started chatting to him that, you know, just close your eyes and think of where he's going to take us, but not if you're driving, I've just been reminded. Okay, so if you're in bed now, you can open your eyes again. <laughs> We're with you through to 12. It's Gareth O'Callaghan for uh, PJ Coogan, who's back on Thursday. That was Owen Curry there from Air and Travel magazine. Now, we've had an unprecedented amount of winter storms in Ireland this year. Uh, we even had a tornado warning from Munster over Christmas. I don't know whether you're aware of that. Alan Riley is with Carla Weather, Weather and has been keeping a close eye on the inclement weather. Alan, Happy New Year to you. 
Happy New Year, Gareth. Uh, it's I'm just t- talking about coming back from Dublin on the train over the New Year's weekend, and the amount of flooding in North Cork and particularly up into the Midlands is it, it's it's something I haven't seen since I think 2010, 2011. It's it there's been a lot of rain, hasn't there? Yes, unfortunately, there really has. Uh, 2023 will be well remembered for the rainfall, unfortunately. The Cork Airport Station recorded 1,527 millimetres of rain. So that's very high compared to previous years. It's almost 400 millimetres more than last year. The average will be around 1,200. So you're looking at over 300 millimetres more last year than the average at Cork. And here, yesterday alone, we had something like, I think, seven seven to eight millimetres in the space of about five hours. It just, it rained relentlessly. Is, is, it, is, is this something that we're going to have to get used to, do you think? Well, you, you will always get cycles, you know, and, and the summer was particularly unusual in how wet it was. But rainfall is going to increase with climate change. We do know that the, the, the climate is changing and, and warming and the warmer it is, the more moisture it holds. So um, I think from, from the point of view of Ireland, we'll be lucky to escape a lot of the impacts of climate change, but not the rainfall and flood is probably going to be the biggest issue that we're going to see. Not every year, not every season, but when it does happen, it will be worse than what we've seen in the past. So, yes, unfortunately, flooding is something I think we're going to have to become more more used to. In terms of predicting weather, is is it becoming easier or is it becoming more unpredictable? Is, 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 is it a greater challenge to the likes of meteorologists? It's... Kind of, I suppose, uh, I suppose, a catching game because the, 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 the science and the computer models and the supercomputers are getting very good at giving more, at giving more data and giving it more quickly. However, climate change has seen some events that, you know, wouldn't have happened in the past. So a lot of the storms that we saw last year developed very rapidly. So there was an instance of, you know, at least two storms that weren't really named right until 24 hours or 36 hours before they hit and the impacts were much greater than what the weather models had shown. So there was a bit of a catch-up in terms of the weather models learning about, you know, the changes that we've seen. But definitely there is a lot more information and there's a lot more information being gathered by, you know, planes and satellites, um, you know, that gather the data and then the supercomputers that take that data and then run the weather models. And, and there, is, there is updates coming to the weather models which should make it more accurate. But it's always going to be, a, I suppose, a game of catch, and catch up. Mm. And and just as you mentioned there, Met Aaron is announcing, of course, now that it's it, it's it's in a race to improve its forecasts as this extreme weather is threatening lives. Yes, I seen Owen Moore's um, interview over Christmas, which was which was very interesting, and it was good to see the updates on you know the fact that they're looking to add more rainfall radars, they're looking to add more um, updates from their their weather model, the Harmony weather model, which is the best weather model that we have in Ireland for. You know, for 48 to 54 hours uh, time. The only thing was that I found a bit frustrating from the interview was talk of you know flood uh, warnings and forecasts and that and there's not much information being made available to the public at all at the moment. I do know that Aaron give briefings to county councils um, but none of that information has been provided to the public and I really, really don't understand why. Mm. And with artificial intelligence, AI, is this going to make weather predictions and, and weather forecasting more accessible to, you know, the lay, the lay people? 
Well, it all depends on how the information is presented. I mean, AI will certainly be helping the, the ECM WF weather model already has a, a version of their model running with AI. Um, interestingly, it hasn't performed that well so far, but, you know, it will learn as it goes. But I think AI can certainly be used, you know, once we have more data for the flood forecasting, because it can learn very quickly that if we see, you know, this amount of rainfall in this catchment area for this river, it's going to rise by, you know, whatever, you know, centimetres or metres. And, and it should help in terms of, you know, making taking the data and very quickly analysing it to give more localised information. And, and I think as we saw in Middleton and different areas of Cork, especially, you know, last year, that that trying to, trying to forecast the local impacts of this intense rainfall is something that really we need every tool available. And I think AI will be a good tool, but it's only as good as the information you feed it. Mm. AI can't make up the information. It can only take the information that you've given it. And that's why if people use ChatGBT and ask it about anything that has happened in the last year, it doesn't know anything that's happened in the last year. So that's a good example of how AI is only as good as the information you're giving it. So we need a lot more rainfall sensors that are real time. We need a lot more river sensors that are measuring the, the flow of the river and the height of the river. Um, and without all of that extra information, the AI is not really going to be a big help. Yeah, which makes perfect sense. Yeah, and thanks for clarifying that because that, now when you put it that way, it does. It makes absolute sense. Um, are, are we looking at uh, warmer, wetter climates here in years to come? That seems to be the trend this year, doesn't it? Or last year? It does, and warmer certainly. Wetter, yes, but you know, it's funny. The impacts of climate change are also going to bring us more droughts. So the the science tells us that we're going to see more extreme droughts. So you you could have you know where you might have a very long period of very little rain, for example, during summer, and then you get very intense rain, and that's the extra challenge because you get the runoff off the land, which is causing obviously problems in our rivers and, and, and can cause flash flooding. So it, it's not like the rainfall is going to be you know consistent across the 12 months of the year. Um, so that does present challenges. But it is likely, unfortunately, that we will continue to see warming for at least another few years. Obviously, with all the conversation about climate change, is it... Has it outrun us? Do you, do you think it's possible in any way to make even the slightest dent and slow down climate change from, from your perspective? Uh, to be honest with you, that's a question more for the, the climate scientists. But from yeah. my point of view, I think one of the things that we're lacking in this country is adaption, you know, adaptation. We need to adapt to the changing climate. Mm -hmm. And I think too much time, effort and money is being spent on trying to change our, you know, our output, which has to happen. Don't get me wrong, we have to cut our, our emissions, but we also have to be realistic about what we can achieve in this country. If we get to net zero in the morning, we're still going to see the impacts of climate change in Ireland. Yeah. So we all have to do our bit. And as a wealthy country, we have to do our bit. But we also have to be realistic about the fact that we're not going to be able to stop this surge in, in, in temperatures and, and in rainfall. So we have to start adapting and we have to start helping people to adapt to, you know, the changing climate. I mean, to, to drive, I drove between Killa and Middleton, I can't think of the name of the area, there was a housing estate, a new housing estate that was badly flooded during the floods. I mean, the fact that we're still building homes in areas that are prone to flooding, you know, we have to be able to, to, to make sure that we make the smart decisions about where we're going to go in terms of the changes that we're making for the adaption that's going to be needed for the change in weather. Alan, always great to, to listen to you and to talk to you. Thanks for joining us and Happy New Year to you. 
Happy New Year, Gary. Take care. Thank you. Alan Riley there from Carlo Weather and uh, well worth following on um, X, formerly known as Twitter. Um, I often wonder, will we ever be able to just say X form- without saying formerly known as Twitter? X. Gareth O'Callaghan here on Cork 96 FM's Opinion Line until 12 o'clock today. I hope you had a nice Christmas if you're back in work today or maybe you still have that extended few days before uh, the schoolgoers return next Monday. Let us know how your Christmas went. If you had a very unusual Christmas, if you had uh, a Christmas you hadn't bargained for for whatever reason, let us know how uh, it went. I think I had the quietest Christmas ever this year, uh, considering that for the last two, they were very quiet considering I was actually in 4A in CUH and uh, been very well looked after but yeah it, I have to say it did feel a bit strange being <laughs> being at home <laughs> this year <laughs> uh, you know that sort of way you're expecting somebody to walk in and say would you like a cup of tea and two gold grain biscuits but that didn't happen in our house um, and I actually had to cut up my own turkey and ham this year but or last year anyway let us know how you got on um, if you had a nice Christmas if you had uh, a crazy Christmas you weren't bargaining for uh, Give us a shout. 0833-969696. Well, the Christmas spirit was alive and well in Carrigaline on Christmas Eve when Hazel's son, Chris, decided to spread some Christmas cheer. And Hazel's on the phone now. Hi, Hazel. Good morning. Hi, Gareth. Happy ha- New Year. And you too. Um, this is a, it's a lovely story. Can you tell us what Chris did uh, on Christmas Eve? Yeah, so in the week leading up to Christmas, um, he had the idea of, um, he's been making fairy doors for the past few years. It was a hobby that he took up during the lockdowns. And, uh, you know, he's been making them for family and friends over the years. And um, yeah, so the week leading up to Christmas, uh, he decided to make 10 fairy doors with the idea of giving them to random people on Christmas Eve morning. Uh, we were doing a charity walk at 6am and the idea was to to give the gifts, you know, to, to random people. But at 6am, there actually wasn't that many people out. Uh, so what he did instead was he planted them around the village um, in random places. So... Um, I put it up on Facebook then on the Carrigaline notice board uh, just to let people know that these little gifts were around the village. And um, yeah, it got a great reaction. We were very touched, actually, um, you know, by the the reaction and just, you know, a lot of people commented on on how kind it was. And he is a very kind person and he loves the idea of, you know, random acts of kindness and um he just loves the reaction that people have when when they receive this little gift, this handmade gift, you know, that he made himself. And how, did, did many people actually pick up on the gifts? Did many people find them? We know of two through Facebook and one lady that found it, she actually left it where she found it because she wanted a, a child to find it instead. Um, so we know of two. Uh, there were 10 in total. So, um, yeah. That's, it's just, it's such an unusual idea, but it, it's, it's one of those ideas that stops you in your tracks and you just think this is really what Christmas is all about, isn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, as you said yourself, you know, Christmas isn't a happy time for some people, you know, and, um, you know, just a, a small act of kindness like that can bring a, a smile to a person's face, you know, um, if they're not having a, a great day. Mm. And, um, 
Yeah, you know, I mean, I think children are innately kind and they have a lot to teach us, really. Um, you know, and like Chris has realized that, you know, it doesn't have to be a big act of kindness, just just small acts of kindness can make all the difference, you know. Mm. I, th- well, I think yeah. the first thing that came to mind when I, I was reading about it was that I, I think so many people have become... Uh, they've over-commercialized Christmas, but also it's it's turned into a very cynical time for a lot of people, whereas I think this just brings it right back to to basics. Yeah. Yeah. What, 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 what is It's what fi- Christmas. For, for, for those who don't know, Hazel, what is the... the I know he, he, Chris was making fairy doors. What what Like, what is the fairy door? So it was just a, a craft idea that we came up with during the lockdown, and it's made out of clay. And... Um, he paints them then once the clay is dry and he decided then to start giving them as gifts, you know, to, to family and friends. And he even made one for the Queen of England uh, a few years ago uh, for her birthday. And we got a, a response, you oh, know, beautiful. so he was delighted with that. Yeah, yeah. And um Actually, there's a, a singer here in Limerick where I'm from, uh, Emma Langford, and he yeah. had made one for her as well because he really loves her music and uh, she was very touched by it as well, you know. Um, so, yeah, you know, it's it's his way, I suppose, of expressing gratitude as well, you know, to people and, um, yeah, just ah, making just them beautiful. feel good. And it makes him feel good as yeah. well in yeah. giving them, you know. It's all about giving back, yeah. And has he any yeah. any plans to expand are any any new ideas coming up for maybe next Christmas? Yeah, well, himself and his older brother, Cameron, um, they came up with the idea of a, a business there a few months ago. Uh, Marshalls makes and bakes. Um, they're into baking as well. Like his brother is into baking for a long time now and, and Chris is into the, the craft side of things. So um, they got to take part in a, a market there a few weeks ago and, and sell you know, their crafts and baked goods and it went really well and, you know, it's something that they'd like to do again in the future, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. That's oh, fantastic. Just make sure no one tries to to dissuade him, to tell him, you know, I, I think this is something, something that people tend to think that unless you can be steered into, you know, a familiar career pattern or whatever, that uh, things mm. things won't work out well for you, but I think with the with self belief, which clearly he has plenty of, and I would imagine yeah. the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree either. Would I be right? Um, well, you know, definitely when it, it comes to self belief, he has a you know in in floods, um, and actually, I, I think I learn more from him than he does from me. You know, um, yeah, you know, and just I love the fact that he he's kind of picked up on on how much of a difference kindness can make in in a person's life. You know, mm. um. And he's often taken part in in events, you know, to raise money for charity. And uh, I do the Darkness into Light every year for Pieta. And, you know, the the two boys joined me uh, last year for mm. that. And uh, I'm just very, very proud of them and feel very blessed, you know, to have two, two such kind boys, you know. Absolutely, yeah. Great. It's just such a lovely story. And I know that there were lots of people out on Christmas Eve actually looking for them. So there still could be a few still out there, could there? 
Who knows? Who knows? Yeah, yeah possibly. Yeah. Um, he wrapped them in, in Christmas paper and put a little ribbon on them. And there was a little note with them as well, just wishing the person a happy Christmas. Um, so, yeah, I, I'd love to hear of anyone else that, that has found them in the meantime, you know. Great. And uh, I hope it did bring bring a smile to their, their face. I'm sure it did. So, Hazel, great um, to talk to you. Happy New Year to you and to, to Chris and to Cameron. Yeah, and just say Chris is beside me here and he's just very keen to say hello. So would you oh, mind if I'd I... I'd be delighted, yeah. I didn't realise he was there. Yeah. He's here, he's here. I'll okay. pass you over. Great yeah. stuff. Hi hello, there. hello. Hello, hello, Chris. This Hi. is Gareth here. Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year to you and everyone listening in. And thank you so much for inviting me. I'm so chuffed. Oh, well, we're, we're, we're even more chuffed to have you on. Now, I'm, I'm dying to know, oh. when will you be presenting your first television series? <laughs> um, that could be happening any time, you know. <laughs> I hope so. Because you're brimful of something that we all need, and that's kindness and kind spirit. So thanks so much for spreading yeah. a little bit of it today, Chris, because looking out the window here out of our studio today, it's pretty grim. But I always think when, <laughs> you know, when we hear someone like you, it makes us smile and we, we feel more hopeful. Oh. Oh, I'm so happy that you like that. And thank you so much to everyone thank who you. is listening in and like that idea. Great. And and we look forward to lots more, Chris. Happy New Year to you and you take care of yourself. Happy New Year. Thank yeah. you. Thanks a lot, Hazel. Okay, Gareth. Thank take you. Care. Bye. See you all. Thank you so much. Wow, what a wonderful call. Uh, you know, when you're coming in the dark and the rain and the heavy traffic and everybody's trying to get to the traffic lights first and try to get beyond them. And then you just sit back and you just think, you know something? This guy has the right idea, you know? And I always remind myself that the worst thing we can ever do, we can't avoid growing old, but we can avoid growing up. Gareth O'Callaghan here for PJ Today and uh, I'll be here tomorrow as well. PJ's back on Thursday morning 083 396 96 96. Lots of you saying it was beautiful to hear Chris and uh, his mum Hazel um, from Carrigaline talking about that beautiful little gesture on Christmas Eve where Chris planted 10 beautiful little handmade gifts around Carrigaline Village and it was really I suppose a gesture just of outreach just to say you're having a bad time if you're having a difficult time hopefully this makes you smile and uh, somebody was just saying what do you mean by don't grow up <laughs> uh, you know I, I, I'd love to write a book on that as the title don't grow up the, I remember um, an old friend of mine school teacher he's retired now and he said one of the things I always try to do as a school teacher is help the students to retain a sense of their younger days never to lose sight of how important it is to stay young keep that part of your mind that just remembers and can instantly recall the beauty of not having to worry about tomorrow and not bothering with whatever happened yesterday that didn't go too well and if we could just do that for five minutes every day I think um, we'd find our way back to a state of mind I think that clearly Chris very much enjoys living in and it was just wonderful to hear his outlook in life and, and the fact that these are the things he thinks are so important reaching out and giving back uh, and I really do think that if I had one one piece of advice to everybody for 2024 it's just to try to retain a sense of 
who you are, even in the most difficult times, where you came from, what you loved about where you came from, and try and bring that with you into the new year. Uh, I don't make New Year resolutions. I think they're a waste of time. Uh, I always say I'll try and save more money, but that's like things you just talk about in your sleep. Uh, I find I just spend it. That's what it's for. Um, uh, But, you know, I really do think that society has just become so cynical and and so solitary and so blinkered and so isolated and we've isolated other people and that's exactly what I want to talk about right now. Annette had some sad news over the Christmas period. She's on the line now to remind us all about how important it is to keep an eye out for elderly neighbours. Hi there Annette. Hi Gareth, good morning. Good morning and Happy New Year to you. Now this really was sad news, wasn't it? Yeah, it was really. Um, uh, yeah, it's very sad. Um, my neighbour passed away. Um, we think perhaps St. Stephen's night into the following morning. We're not sure exactly when. How did you find um, out? Well, his name was Mike and he had been unwell for the past maybe three weeks. Um, so I've known him for years and, and I gave him my number years ago. I said, look, if ever you need anything, give me a shout, you know, because I'm living just up the road from him. Um, and uh, yeah, about three weeks ago, he rang me and he just said, look, can you drop down a few bits? Um, I'm not feeling well. And um, and I said, grand, no bother. I'll call down, get your list from you and we'll go from there. So and that was going on for a couple of weeks um, and then up to... Christmas Eve, he still hadn't been eating. Now, I had given out to him and said, look, you need to go to the doctor or you need to go to hospital. And he was like, yeah, maybe we'll see, you know. Um, But he was a man who was used to, he was living on his own. He had four dogs and um, he was used to kind of doing his own thing and he was always happy out doing that, you know. Um, So there was no talking to him, basically. He wasn't going to go to a doctor or to the hospital, you know. It's, it's and, I think, um, isn't it? It's, it's a kind of a male thing, I think. That I think we, it is, yeah. We, we think we can survive on our own, but we, we can't. We think, yeah, you can't really, no, that's just it. So um, I called to him on Christmas Eve and said to him, right, tomorrow's Christmas Day, Is what do, I, what do you need, do you know, to keep you going? And he was like, oh, he was kind of like, oh my God, tomorrow's Christmas Day. He just had been so sick, you know. And um, so I said to him, I'll drop down your dinner tomorrow, and I'll ring the doorbell, but I'll go, because it used to take him, you know, a good few minutes to get to the door at this stage. And I didn't want to be standing there waiting for him and putting him under pressure to get to the door. I said, just take in your dinner when you're good and ready, you know, and heat it up. Yeah. And um, so I didn't, I tried ringing him then on Christ, or on St. Stephen's Day, but there was no answer. So I thought it was grand. And I didn't leave the house on St. Stephen's Day. It was like just one of those days I just didn't budge anywhere. And it was the following morning, um, I was taking a dog to the vets. And I looked in his driveway and I could see that the dinner was still there, that the bag was still there. And I thought, oh, he hasn't come out at all to get it, you know. And um, so when I came back from the vets, then I went down and I couldn't get an answer. I could hear his phone ringing inside, but I still couldn't get an answer. He wasn't coming to the door and I couldn't hear him. Um, And the dogs were barking. Um, So that's when I decided to um, call the local guard station in Mallow and ask them to do welfare check on him. Um, Which they did. They came up very quickly in fairness to them. And 
But then we had to wait for uh, the dog warden to come because two of the dogs wouldn't be the friendliest. Right. So obviously didn't want anyone going in <laughs> and getting mm. a bite. Um, wouldn't be fair on the dogs and wouldn't be fair on the person. Um, so by the time that gentleman arrived, and he was an absolute gentleman, the dog warden who took care of the dogs. Um, but unfortunately, Mike was had passed away. Oh. So the guards confirmed it to me. Oh, I think it must have been about... I've forgotten. Time just went out the window. I, I, sometime that evening, perhaps around six o'clock or there or thereabouts. And when um, when, when the guard the accessed the house in that, were you allowed to go in with them or did they tell you to stay outside? No, mm. no, 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 no. I wasn't allowed to go in, no. Um, I, um, I, 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 I just came up home. I was just up here. They said they'd ring me um, as soon as... Um, they had, um, you know, access to the house and, and all that. And um, so by the time they actually rang me, I had gone back down and I was um, I was next door. I was in the house next door, one of Mike's neighbours. And we were just waiting for the news. Yeah. So, um, and yeah, so my guard Katie rang me then to say that, um, yeah, Mike was gone. He had passed away. Um. And in, in terms of, obviously, I don't want to go into detail in terms of, of family and extended family, but presumably there was nobody there, was there? Well, he he had never mentioned family t- yeah. to us, you know, um, to the neighbours on either side of him, PJ and Kim, and then myself. Um, I vaguely remember him saying he had a sister in England, but, but that was about it, really. We didn't have any contact details for anybody, you know. Um, so uh, I kind of became the, the 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 point of contact really for the guards and, and for um, for um, Eddie O'Keefe, the undertaker, who then took Mike's remains to CUH um, for the postmortem. And the reason um, the reason I mentioned relatives in that is is because I, I assume his remains can't be released to you until hopefully a relation <laughs> comes forward. That's true. Um, I, I had been going through the motions of organising some sort of a memorial mass, but possibly without his remains, because <clears throat> like that, you, you, I, I, I thought the same, Garrett, that they couldn't be released. But in actual fact, they can be released. They can be released to the undertaker as long as the undertaker is happy to, to receive him. Right. Um, but thankfully, his sister has been found. Mike's wow. sister has been found. And uh, she she was speaking to the guards the other day and asked to speak with me. So I spoke with her yesterday for about 10 minutes. Um, and, and, and so she's obviously devastated, you know. Yes. Yeah. Uh, is she uh, living abroad without getting too specific? She is. Yeah. She's she's in the UK, but she? um, they they sent each other birthday cards and Christmas cards every year. So she's only just recently received them because her birthday is in December. So she's only recently received a card from Mike for her birthday and for Christmas. Right. Um, and I think that's actually how the guards found her because uh, one of the cards was in the house with her name and address on it. And so, so. presumably, she felt that Mike was fine and everything was okay because she received the cards. He, but, yeah, she, yeah, this is it. I mean, they wouldn't have been um, they wouldn't have been talking on the phone all the time yeah. or anything like that. It would have been just, you know, they probably just communicated by the cards only, you know. Yeah. So, um, and unfortunately, Christine lost her husband in June twenty three. So oh, it's been a tough, a tough couple of months for her. Yeah, yeah. absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, this is so, a, t- a double blow. Gosh, that's shocking. 
double blow for her. Absolutely, yeah. It's it's not easy. Um, and then of course knowing that that Mike passed away by himself, you know. Yes. But as I said to her yesterday, I said there was nothing getting him out of that house. Um, he was staying there because he he wouldn't leave the dogs. Like there was just no way he would leave the dogs. Yeah. So um, and unfortunately he, he had no choice in the end, you know. Mm. Um, and the dogs were taken to the CSPCA. So. Fingers crossed they'll be rehomed because I know the CSPCA have a no-kill policy. So fingers crossed they'll be rehomed somewhere. I really hope. Right, and pr- and, and at the busiest time of the year for them, hopefully the, the at the busiest time of the year. Yeah. But I'll tell you that dog warden, whoever he was, was an absolute gentleman. The way he handled the dogs with such compassion, you know, knowing that they'd probably be scared. He was amazing. He was absolutely amazing. Ter- so, I'd say terrified and like four beautiful big black dogs. Oh, the big black dogs. <laughs> Gorgeous, yeah. yeah. Sadie and Shay would be the mammy and the daddy, and then Morgan and Bowie were the well, I took that Mike used to always call them pups, but sure, there were six or seven now at this stage, you <laughs> yeah. know. But yeah. they were always the pups to him, they were the babies, you know. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, and Sadie, um, Sadie is losing her sight because she's diabetes, oh, so she is her, um, she is her guide, she Gosh. shows her where to go when, when they're out walking. They're, they're just they're super cute, and they would have super, adored super Mike, cute, they would have you know? adored Mike. <gasps> Well, he would have been their only major yeah. contact, really, bar me and whoever else stopped to talk to him when he was out walking with the dogs. And the subject he talked about most was the dogs. Yeah. And so if you were into dogs, Mike would have plenty of chat for you, you know. Yeah. yeah. And uh, lovely. I mean, just a lovely gent. He, he was quiet, kept to himself. Um very highly intelligent and I believe a gifted musician as well uh-huh. um, from what I've been told since um, but yeah just kept himself to himself and um, you know the only reason that I happened to be involved was just that he needed a bit of help in the last few weeks and I was happy to give it Right. Um, you know I mean what else can you do for somebody you know well I mean that's that's an event that is that will change your life as well I mean that the, the shock of 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 yeah. discovering what had happened, having tried to get him to get medical help in the first place. Yeah, yeah, know. yeah. And I mean, and I'll be honest, Gareth, straight away, I just, well, I started crying um, just because of shock and everything. But I was also, I, I felt guilty that I didn't force him to get the medical help. But then, you know, the neighbours, Kim and PJ, were like looking at, he never wanted to go anywhere. Mm. He he. That was his thing. He stayed at home and that was it, you know, and he wasn't budging with the, because of the dogs. Yeah. And so, I, you know, there also, was nothing anyone could do. Yeah. I, I think you probably, you couldn't have forced him. I think the, 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 the way yeah. you did it was the only way you could have done it. Yeah. Yeah. Because mm. if I had tried to force him to do anything, he would have just cut me off, you know. Yes. So at least this way I was still, I was still there anyway, you know what I mean? And, and did, did whatever I could possibly do, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and I think it's, 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 it's a time for reminding everybody that this is not, uh, this is not something rare. This, this is happening an awful lot that we just don't hear about. It is, it is. And I suppose it's just a reminder to anybody, if you know of somebody who is living on their own, you don't have to be, you know, intrusive and be, you know, in their face every day of the week. But you can just give a shout every now and then and say, look, do you need anything? I'm going to wherever the shops, you know, or I'm going to the chemist. Is there anything I can drop you, you know? And I mean, 99 times, you know, they'll probably say to you, no, I'm grand. But you know what? Maybe, just maybe once they might need something. 
and you know and maybe they might reach out to you again then you know if, mm. if, they, if they ever got into trouble like mike did you know and it's just it's just we have to look after each other because you know what else can you do yeah and you know you have to mind those around you very much i think in many cases as in mike's it, it takes the persuasion of somebody else to actually make them realize that what they have needs medical attention because sometimes and i and i kind of go back to the whole male thing again and i lived on my own for uh the, the probably the best part of 10 years you, you you tend to sweep things like that under the carpet because you, you, you are in such a routine which people looking in from the yeah. outside might think that's not a routine. You know, they're, they're just mm. becoming more isolated. More isolated, yeah. That's it, you see. And I mean, that certainly would have been Mike to a certain degree, you know. Yeah. Um, he would only leave the house really um, to go to the shop, get the few bits and occasionally he would go to Jim Keefe's pub down the road yeah. for a couple of pints. But that was it, you know, other than that, that was Mike's routine, you know. Um, and that was, he was happy. He was happy with that, you know. But mm. I mean, obviously, looking back on it, you know, it would have been better for him to be out more and about, out and about more and more people around him. But look, that was his life and that's how he chose to live it. Yeah, and you know something, he was blessed to have you as as a, as a great friend. And, and please remember that too, because I think... Uh, I, 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 a similar situation some years back um, a, a friend when I say he was a friend like yourself I knew him very well and I would see him for the occasional <coughs> couple of points but he was living on his own and uh, mm. he told everybody that on doctor's advice he was giving up the drink and he wouldn't be in the pub anymore which I felt was probably not a good idea because the pub was his only mm. social outlet yeah isolating mm. you see by himself yeah, yeah. and he, he sadly like Mike he passed away on his own in the apartment and he, he, he wasn't found for three weeks everyone thought he didn't want to drink and he didn't want to he, he didn't want the company of people who drank so everybody mm, inadvertently mm. said we better just leave him alone leave uh, him alone yeah, yeah that's it yeah, yeah. But I, and I, I mean and that's respecting somebody's decisions you think yes but you know sometimes perhaps maybe it's no harm just to Give us, give us, give a check every now and then, yeah, and yeah. make sure they are okay and and are are happy with their decision. You know what I mean? Not yeah. that you're going to question them, but just make sure that you know you're still around, regardless if you're not going to the pub for a drink or, yeah. you know, you're not going out to play cards or you're not going out to play bingo. Just make sure, just always, just check on somebody like that. If you, especially if you think there's nobody else around in their life, you know, yeah, because you just never know. You just never know. I mean. I didn't think for a second, you know, when Mike phoned me a couple of weeks back that I'd be sitting here talking now about him having passed away. I just didn't see that. Yeah. And, uh, okay. So it was just a shock. Yeah. Yeah. Big shock. Okay. Annette, it's lovely, shock. lovely to but talk But I missed him out him. walking and running with dogs. I know. I know. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. It, it was yeah. no, no, no. Please, I, I don't mean to interrupt, but I think that's no, no, no. It's no. it's his presence. It's his presence in your life as well. That uh, I, yeah, yeah, know, that's yeah. it. You start, I was getting a big smile every time he'd see me come, and he'd be going because he knew the dogs were going to start going mad, like <laughs> trying to get to me to give me kisses and whatever, you know. Yeah. And he'd start smiling, getting ready to hold on to the dog so that they wouldn't uh, pull him asunder, you know. Yeah. Okay. But um, yeah. So it's it's nice to talk yeah, to you. That's what, what, it. Is so, that your own dog there in the background? Is, is <laughs> that is my my own three going nuts? Oh, right. Somebody's ringing the doorbell. <laughs> what are their What are their names? Oh, Spud is well. They're all rescues. All three of them. Yeah. So Misty is the oldest. Yeah. 
Spud then is the middle and Molly is the youngest. Oh, beautiful names. So there are three terriers. Uh, Molly is a Chihuahua Jack Russell and she's a teacup, so she's only about one pound. You can hear her behind me. And she thinks she's a Rottweiler when somebody rings the doorbell. She goes, absolutely ape. Oh, they're blessed to and have people you. people stand back when I open the door. <laughs> Thank you. Great to talk to you. Take care house. Yourself. Thanks, you too. Uh, Thanks, Gareth. Appreciate bye-bye. the chat. Take Thank care. You. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you. Uh, God, there, there are just sometimes no words. Um, and particularly if you if you do know of someone living close to you who's living alone, um, doesn't matter how old they are because, you know, this is not always an age thing. Um, as in this case with Mike, it, it turned out obviously to be medically related so please look in on them, even just pick up the phone or even just stick your name and your number uh, on a bit of paper and pop it through the letterbox just say if you need me I'm here and if they don't get back to you well at least you know you tried 083 396 this is Gareth O'Callaghan here for PJ who's back with you on Thursday here on the Opinion Line the new year sees a new rule coming into effect with every household now getting a brown bin you can refuse it but then you have to provide a written explanation as to why joining me to discuss this is Green Party Councillor Dan Boyle Dan good morning Good morning, Gareth. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you too. It, it, what, what's the story behind the brown bin? Well, there's a few regulations coming in. People will know about the uh, disposable plastic bottles and cans coming on the 1st of February as well. The, the brown bin is trying to uh, better regulate uh, the, the, the organic waste we create uh, and uh, maybe take it out of the waste system if possible uh, and see where it can be used for composting, for instance. So the more you segregate your waste, uh, the less you contaminate it, uh, the more assistance that householders are given in that, uh, the better it would be in, in terms of cost overall, uh, but secondly, uh, in producing products that might have a, a reusable value. Right. So this is taking the waste out of what would be the black bin um, and, and literally stuff like, uh, I presume, things like tea bags, that type of thing, stuff that can be... <laughs> used as compost. Yeah, yeah, well, I, yeah, I, I, I think people need to be uh, aware of what can be composted. Most food waste, um, uh, but uh, the, the uh, tea bags, uh, you'd have to look on the, the box uh, or the labels. Some can, some can't, uh, because uh, there's microplastics, for instance, in, in some, some uh, tea bags. So uh, there has to be a job of educating people. Uh, some people are already uh, composting and segregating their waste but for the people who this will be new to I think there, there's need for public information as well as to encouraging them to do the right things in the right way Right, so uh, effectively what can now go into the black bin as distinct from what you're now hoping to take out of that and put into the brown bin? Well, and that should be greatly reduced, but uh, the, the type of contaminated waste that can't be recycled, basically. So it, it could be something, um, it could be some type of packaging that uh, is stained in some way, although some of that can be used. Um, if it's stained significantly, it should go into the black band bag. If it can scrape it off or be washed in some way, it can go into a recycling bin. Uh, and it, it's just about reducing the volume. Uh, and I suppose creating a greater awareness of what kind of waste we're uh, producing, how it can be reduced, and where it can't be reduced, how it might be reused in some other context. And it's it's, a lot of this has come about through legislation that was passed last year called the Circular Economy Act. Uh, And what what, that fancy title, what it's meant to convey is that 
everything in life should have a circular route, you know, from its creation to its eventual end use. But it, it doesn't have to go straight from being produced to being thrown away, which has been our want as a society o- over the last number of decades. So mm. it's, it's trying to change behavior and it's trying to improve things in a, a lot of ways. So is there, there's a, a, a cost side, I take it, to the brown bin? Uh, well, there can be. Uh, it, it depends which route you take. Uh, th- there is both um, a right now to be given this service to uh, waste disposal companies and an obligation by the companies to provide the service that hasn't hasn't been there before. Uh, but this is also possible to, to be done on your own. Uh, if you choose not to take the commercial route, you have to show uh, that you're doing it physically uh, and whatever waste you're collecting and disposing of uh, you've always had this obligation, by the way. If you don't have a waste disposal company, you have to show receipts you get from civic amenity sites if you're bringing a waste there, for instance. And so if, why would someone refuse it if, if, it, if it's obviously for, for the common good? Uh, well, that's a question you'd ask, to ask each individual. Uh, doing things differently is inconvenient from time to time, uh, and, and people don't like change. Uh, so it, it's trying to, first of all, create the awareness that we need to change, we need to do things differently, and doing things differently will be doing things better. Uh, but that's not something that everyone accepts instantaneously, uh, and a lot of work has to be done to convince people that that, in fact, is the right way to do things for the right reasons. So when does this come into effect, Dan? Well, uh, some of the regulations are effective uh, as of January 1st. Uh, the um, government brought out a code of practice just before Christmas. There are other things happening, for instance, like uh, closed-circuit television uh, to be put in areas where there are uh, illegal dumping happening. So between this, uh, the the brown bins uh, and the reusable bottles, uh, plastic bottles and cans, there'll be a whole range of options being offered to people now in, in the first couple of weeks of this year to do things differently and hopefully to do things better. Just while I have you on, Dan, um, your leader, Eamon Ryan, is is in all of the newspapers today. He's criticised as, quote, utter nonsense, false stories about him, which went viral and were accepted as, quote, gospel, while warning of the challenge of disinformation online. This is going to be a very difficult year for politicians and for leaders, 2024, to try to distinguish disinformation online from what is the truth. Would you agree? I agree. And, and we're talking about mainly social media. I mean, we, we have a very responsible media, but as um, mainstream media, but it, it, and, and they don't give people an, an easy job. Part of the job of being a public representative, of being involved in political and public life is to be accountable. Uh, and to justify what you do, how you do it, whether you do it competently or not. That's that's all fair game. I, I think what social media, unregulated social media has introduced in the last decade in particular is the idea that you can say anything and you don't have to justify it being said uh, and just saying it makes it the truth when in effect a lot of it is deliberate misinformation, disinformation, uh, at, attempts to create a, a, an idea of a person that has nothing to do with, with the the actual truth of who they are and what they do uh, and I think some of it will be dealt with with the hate speech le- uh, legislation that's controversial for some people I believe it's necessary uh, I, I think in a free society freedom of speech says that you should be free to say whatever you want 
but you also have to be accountable for the consequences of what you say. Uh, and and uh, social media allows too much license, which is well beyond freedom for people to say anything and, and say things quite nastily, viciously, uh, and in a way that undermines character and, and deliberately seeks to distort public trust. Uh, and that's not healthy in any democracy. I, I think anyone involved in politics in the, this coming year where there's going to be elections all over the world, UK, USA, India, the European Union, I, I, I think this is going to be a pivotal year in, uh, in how we, we deal with the concept of truth uh, and, and how we communicate properly with, with our citizens in a democratic way. Now, Eamon Ryan says in the Irish Times this morning that the, he says that the antidote was to invest in, quote, good quality journalism. Is good quality journalism on its way out? Um, well, I, 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 I can understand the need for support. Uh, I, I think there's a, a need to counteract the idea, for instance, uh, in, in far-right circles, there's this idea of citizen journalism, uh, when it, which isn't journalism at all. It's uh, people uh, deliberately distorting truth and, and creating situations. But social media allows you to do that. So, but uh, we saw the death uh, over the weekend, for instance, of a very uh, renowned international journalist, John Pilger, yeah. uh, who, who was who was never short of challenging the system, seeking truth of power, and the like. Uh, and uh, I, I think the, what social media has done, unregulated social media, has undermined that type of journalist coming to the fore in the future. Mm. Uh, and I think that's exactly the type of support Eamon Ryan is talking about, that the ability to act freely, to speak freely, uh, but to do so uh, with information-backed sources at all times is is something that's being lost uh, because of unregulated social media. Uh, and to have future John Pilgers, uh, we, we need to do things differently and we need to protect that type of behaviour, that, that type of journalism, and encourage it it's it's see its strength being restored because the current system doesn't allow it happiness i i can say Mm -hmm. finally dan you mentioned there the far right attitude and the far right tendencies that 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 seem to be very much on the on the rise at the moment uh i as 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 a a political counselor are, are you concerned at at where this is going Oh, what I'm concerned about is that the voices representing the far right uh, are getting louder, they're getting emboldened in what they do and what they're saying. Uh, I don't believe it represents a large number of people. I don't even believe it represents a growing number of people. Uh, but the tactics being used, uh, on the one hand, just using false information uh, and, and more seriously uh, engaging in violent behaviour, which we're seeing with the, the burning down and arson of, of uh, buildings that are uh, suggested for particular uses. Uh, I, I think that needs to be challenged. I think we're talking about a very small number of people. They're acting uh, way out of proportion to their actual strength amongst the public. But what they stand for uh, needs to be challenged uh, and, and what they're trying to promote needs to be taken out of the picture because it, it isn't uh, a society that the vast, vast majority of people uh, want or, 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 or seek to bring about. Is it fair to say that the Minister for Justice is spending more time on the hate speech bill than she should in, in the light of the fact that the Gardaí are, are literally on their knees now in terms of resources and in terms of support? 
Well, no, I, I wouldn't say that. I mean, the hate speech bill is going through the normal parliamentary processes. It doesn't require any additional resources. It's not taking resources away from the Gardaí, for instance. No, but should, uh, but should, no but should the there, government yeah. should the government be giving more resources to the Gardaí? Should I mean? Oh, well, they, I, I, I think that exists, I, and I think there's an open door there. I, I, I think there are uh, structural and institution problems with the Gardaí. Uh, for instance, there's been a, a, a year where the the uh, Garda representative bodies have been at odds with the. Uh, with the Garda Commissioner, there has been the whole system about uh, the use of Garda over time. Uh, and there are problems in recruitment. Uh, it, it's not being seen as an attractive career option for other people. There are not enough people being recruited and as subsequently there's not, not enough people being put into the new system. But the numbers are increasing marginally uh, and I hope a tide can be turned because my experience of the Garda, particularly community policing, is excellent. Uh, and if the resources are made available, if they're extended, uh, I, I think we do get a better society uh, by offering that kind of support. Okay, good to talk to you. Happy New Year to you, Dan. Thank you so much. Happy New Year. Thank you. That's Councillor Dan Boyle there from the Green Party. Our number is 083 396 96 New figures show that more than 5,500 pubs, restaurants and other hospitality businesses still owe €280 million Euro in tax following the COVID uh, p- pandemic as the deadline to pay it back approaches. Adrian Cummins, Chief Executive of the Restaurants Association of Ireland, says more and more businesses will be forced to liquidate and close. And he joins me now. Hi there, Adrian. Uh, good morning. Um, wh- why don't revenue extend the deadline? Why, why, why are they holding fast to the deadline? Well, uh, our conversation with revenue has been that this is this was a decision taken during the pandemic uh, by the government to set, put in place the parameters around the warehouse tax, um, and our industry are oh nearly two hundred and ninety eight million euros back to the government, which is falling due next May at a rate of 3% interest on that. Um, we've been very clear in this that, you know, we are looking for an extension of the repayment period for at least 10 years so that that money can be paid back over a, a viable uh, time period for these businesses who are effectively now after facing a huge increase in cost of business in the last uh, number of months and will do so uh, over the next 12 months from the increase in the minimum wage, which is wage inflation in our industry, cost of supplier increases. Uh, also, we had a VAT increase of 9 to 13.5% last September. Uh, and, and all of these are making our industry very, very precarious and difficult at the moment from an economic perspective and that's why we've said to the government that we need a longer period in paying back that tax nobody's looking for an amnesty here what we're looking for is a longer uh, period of, of of time to pay it all back and if if you don't get that time I presume the inevitable will be that more and more pubs and restaurants and other businesses will close that's true, and that's unfortunate for our industry because these are there's livelihoods behind all of these businesses that close down. I think that's the very first point. These are entrepreneurs who have put their you know heart and soul into their business over the last number of years. Uh, the pandemic came along; it wasn't of their making. Uh, they had to shut down, and um, you know they had to warehouse some tax that was due back then. And that tax now is due back to the state at a time where. You know, our industry is not doing as well as we thought it would be. 
um, and because of inflation, cost inflation affecting our, our, our industry and other, other sectors as well. So I think the government needs to make a, a prudent approach to this where you're better off getting some money than no money. And, you know, if the business can't pay it back uh, on from May of next year, well, then it'll liquidate. And who loses? The staff lose, the business owner loses, and the state loses as well because, you know, they're going to lose out on that revenue that, that, that could be coming back into the state as well. So I think our message here is that, the, uh, you know, that we need to sit down with revenue, hammer out an agreement with them uh, around the repayment period and make sure it's it's flexible and, and viable for all of these businesses across the state that owe this money back. But I would imagine that they more than anybody know that business models that worked 10 years ago just don't work in the economy that we're in at the minute. And we don't actually know what direction the economy is going in. Yeah, I get that point. But I'm, I'm, I'm of the opinion that, you know, these businesses were all viable and it wasn't of their making in terms of the pandemic. Um, you know, and if these businesses were given some help in terms of this 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 extension of of the repayment period that will keep get them keep them afloat keep them their their business operational as opposed to having to take the decision to liquidate fully and then everybody loses so i'm of the view that we need to try and save as many uh, as possible but there is probably people there uh, within government are saying okay let's cut them and get rid of them but I don't take that uh, that point because many of these businesses are in small regional and rural towns and villages across the state and it's probably the only business on a street that's employing a number of people like the average restaurant will employ about 15 people and uh, if that closes down you know the, the likelihood of a new business opening up may not happen and people lose their jobs and you lose the fabric of, of society as well so I think we need to try, and, and it's not about you know looking for an amnesty here. This is about changing the the protocols around it to to to, to increase it to ten year uh, repayment period. Mm. I presume the the one euro forty rise in the minimum wage as of yesterday is is going to have a knock on effect. Massive. That's and every business that's in that's labour intensive like ourselves, whether it be at retail or hospitality. That's a huge. It's an increase of twelve point four percent, and you know it's not about the it's not about the rate of minimum wage. It was the increase from the eleven to twelve euro seventy, uh, and every business every business will know this that you know staff above that will be looking for the same level of an increase, and you know there's a lot of business out there that won't be able to pay that, uh, and that is on top of the vast increase in hospitality of. September uh, last year, the nine to thirteen half percent, which has rocked our industry to the core. We also have this pension auto enrollment coming down the tracks at the end of this year. Mm. We also have extra sick days as well, and we also have um, you know uh, extra extra um, bank holidays coming in another another bank holiday in, in, in place as well. So these are all adding up, and the cumulative effect of all of this is making. Business is very, very costly to run. And I'll just give you an example here. On a million euro turnover of a hospitality business, they're facing a hundred thousand euros extra in cost this 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 year. And when when you have uh, these hospitality businesses were they're low margin, so they used normally a business should be between five and ten percent. Now they're between one and five. So 
How, how does that break? That's a, a huge figure. How does that break down, Adrian? So the 100,000 is broken down very simply. It's about 38 to 39,000 is the VAT increase. Right. About another 38 to 40,000 is the wage inflation. And then the rest of it is on suppliers, your insurance increases, your bank interest rates, your uh, in, your um, merchant services, all of the other costs associated that have all gone up in the last 12 months and no sign of them coming down. And then you also had that energy you know, some of these businesses are locked into energy pricing that have been for over the last 12 months that they just can't get out of. So the, all of that, when you add it all up, and we've seen numerous, numerous accounts to prove this, that is about €100,000 extra on a million euro turnover. And, and that is not, to me, is going to have... What will happen here is businesses will either reduce their hours or reduce their staffing levels. That's what they're going to have to do. I don't think you even mentioned the the energy bills in the, in that amount of money there. I, I mean, I know an, an average small restaurant will probably be landed in the next couple of weeks with a, an electricity bill for four or four and a half thousand euro. Yeah, and the government uh, there was a great let's call it spin and conversation, whatever you want, um, um, and promise around the supports for businesses, this 275 million euro fund that every business will get, even those that are highly profitable, is linked to to their rates. But when you divide the 146,000 businesses that are going to get the 250, um, 250 million, that's only 1,700 euros per business on average. So that business that I give you that those figures of the, the hundred thousand extra in hundred thousand extra in cost, all they're getting back from the state is seventeen hundred quid. I mean, to me, this makes no sense whatsoever, and and it seems to be a lack of understanding how it is so difficult at the moment for all small businesses. You know, we have this we have this narrative that you know that we want um, highly paid jobs and we want to have. The big, the big tech and the big pharma as our major, you know, what about the small operator and the small high street that's been there for 20 and 30, 30 years that may apply between f- 5 and 15 people? Mm. They're all small businesses and they should be treated equally in terms of supports and, and all that goes along with that. So I think there has to be a, uh, a national conversation about what sort, of, uh, what sort of level of support SMEs need in this country that is fair and balanced across, across the state or else you won't encourage people to go in to set up a business in the future because even just reading today's Irish Times um, to a major article in terms of coffee shops closing down because of the cost, cost of business and and they've lost all their life they've lost their livelihoods mm. I just in that article actually I see figures from your own Restaurant Association of Ireland. Uh, Two hundred and twenty-eight food-led hospitality businesses have closed since last July. That's correct, and more will come because we've seen a marked increase in the number of businesses uh, closing down. And just to, you know, we hear this other spin that the more businesses opening than closing. That is nonsense. We have the facts from the CRO in terms of there is more businesses closing down than there is opening up. So what does that say to you about a labour-intensive industry like hospitality? I mean, the, you know, we're heading into really choppy, uncertain waters at the moment. Uh, and, you know, while the households uh, have to deal with the cost of living in terms of energy and bank interest rates, we have to face exactly the same thing in terms of energy, bank interest rates, cost of labour, all of that as well. So, mm. 
you know, it just it is so so difficult out there at the moment. But you, you, I think, we, surely you have to see the other side of, of this issue as well, where, uh, you know, people who are struggling to pay their bills at home find eating out in, even even stopping off in a coffee shop for a lunch, prohibitively more expensive than it would have been maybe two or three years ago. Yeah, and, and that's because you have, you know, price inflation is fueled by cost inflation. Yeah. These businesses are not trying to, they're not trying to rip off customers. They're trying to make a small profit. They're actually probably breaking even or even still making a loss at what their pricing model is. Pricing model is, and each business will decide their own pricing model themselves. But they're like, they're they When you have a wage inflation in this country of twelve point four percent on the minimum wage, they, you know that that will be reflected in 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 terms of what consumers will have to pay. So it's a vicious circle at the end of the day, and that was all driven by government. And if I think the, the big the big elephant in the room is this, is if we were able to solve the housing problem in the country, we'd solve a lot more problems in terms of rent rent uh, for staff that can't get rent. We understand very all, all too well the cost of what our, our, our staff are facing uh, in terms of the cost of living. And that's why we have to pay appropriately to retain our staff. But at some stage, that business isn't able, isn't viable because the cost of outstrip stripped the level of income coming into the, the into that premises. And then, of course, you've also got an additional problem where a lot of these young entrepreneurs are self-employed and they find that they can't get finance from the banks or the institutions. And that's true, and and we don't see any solution coming coming down the road for for those these uh, entrepreneurs. It seems to be a lot of private investment but there seems to be no small medium enterprise uh, banking force in this country that will take a risk in hospitality and um, that's very unfortunate mm-hmm. uh, and uh, hopefully uh, somebody will see the, see the, see the lies that you know we've had we have we have very successful operators out there that have lasted the, the, the lasted a long time and we're, we're trying to encourage more people to get into our, into our industry um, but the conditions are not there for at the moment. Okay. Uh, so that's that's effectively what it is. Thanks for taking the time to talk to us, Adrian. Thank you. Nice to talk to you. That's all. Thank, Thank you. Much. Adrian Cummins there, Chief Executive of the Restaurants Association of Ireland. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Good morning to you. Well, the sun is slowly breaking through the clouds, I think it's going to be a beautiful afternoon around the city and county. Uh, and beyond it, I think the next couple of days dry as well, which will be most welcome for so many different reasons. It's Gareth O'Callaghan here for PJ, who's back with you on Thursday, 083 396 Some of your texts 
Uh, in relation to brown bins, Gareth, we and Farron Ree have brown bins for a few years. We have no bother with them. That's Rose. So uh, take it you're a domestic forensic expert at this stage. Fair play to you. Um, Annette's neighbour's death, as we were talking to Annette earlier on about Mike, her neighbour, who she was keeping an eye on. Uh, Mike fell, fell foul medically. He needed attention. But as we were saying, you know, many people who live on their own tend not to want to tend to these things. They just hope that, you know, they can struggle through them. Uh, Frank says, so, so sad, but all too common. Gone are the days when communication was hard, but contact with each other was more common. Um, uh, spray paint attack in Douglas. Selena says, yesterday I was parked up in Douglas dropping my daughter off and three young kids approached my car. When I pulled my window down, they started spraying paint all over my car and my clothes and my dog. They continued to go to all of the other cars parked up and destroy them. I called the guards, but it was not a nice experience. Um, uh, would be interested to hear what the guards uh, did and, and how they responded, Selena. But thank you for that. I hope you're okay. What a very, very frightening experience uh, uh, for your dog as well. Um, hi, all of 96. You very kindly chose me as a Panto winner. Oh my God. OMG. What a fantastic evening. All staff and the Evermen were so friendly and welcoming. The performance was incredible. So much fun. Thank you to all at Thompson's McCurtain Street for a great meal too. We really, really enjoyed our evening. Many thanks. Claire. Thank you, Claire. Delighted that you had a wonderful experience um, at the Everyman and at the Panto and at Thompson's and McCurtain Street as well. Um, for those of you who know the Doe Hut in Douglas Court, uh, just in relation to businesses closing down, talking to Adrian Cummins there from the Restaurant Association of Ireland, uh, just got this little message here. It's with extreme sadness that we have to say goodbye to our Douglas Court outlet, the Doe Hut, after Sunday 7th. Costs have become too high like we have all seen in everyday life as well as business. We will remain open in Douglas Park and put every effort into making it better. We would like to say a huge thank you to everyone for their loyalty and friendship. Happy New Year to all and hopefully see you in the park for coffee and chats. That's from Lar and Adelaide and I would imagine that's written with a very, very heavy heart. Um, you know, I think when you put so much of not just your money and your hopes and your dreams and your time and your experience into investing and, and opening up a business to have to tell everybody who has supported it over the years that it's not no longer going to be there anymore it must be heartbreaking so Lara and Adelaide I, I really do hope that things look up for you in 2024 now, small business is being faced with a quadruple whammy of rising costs all coming this month. What a horrible prospect for anybody involved in a small business. Crash owner Elaine Dunn, who often talks to us on the show about the struggle faced by child mining businesses, says these costs will mean business closures and job losses. Elaine joins me now. Elaine, Happy New Year to you. And I genuinely mean that in every sense. I hope it will be a good year, but it's going to be a very tough year. No, Happy New Year to you as well. But uh, yes, um, what we've seen already in the last um, couple of weeks, in Cork alone, five services have closed down. In Cork alone, in rural areas in Cork. Mm -hmm. We saw two in the Dublin area, another one gone this morning, and one announced a closure um, in February as well this morning. So we're seeing all of these small businesses closing down. And like we have to understand that the, the added cost of the PRSI, the extra sick days, the, the auto-enrolment, all of that is crippling us. We're tied into fee freezes. 
And we, if we want the government funding, we have to freeze our fees. Mm -hmm. And if you come out of it, you have to put the cost on the parents. But it means you would be upping your fees by anything from 25 to 35, 40% to parents. And they can't afford it either. No. So it's just a vicious circle. And... I, I know when 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 we spoke last, um, I, I think it was probably late last year. Th- th- things were literally the same as they are right now. Not not nothing, in fact, has changed, has it? Nothing has changed at all for us. No, I mean we've been out protesting on the streets of Dublin and on the streets of Cork. We we've been protesting continuously, and it's gone on deaf ears, unfortunately. And now, you know, our increase of core funding for providers for next year per child is four cent an hour. That's not going to cut the cost. I mean, I, maybe I should say how much it's going to cost me. Um, I've nineteen staff, and with all of those costs being brought in, it's going to cost me per staff three thousand one hundred a year. That's sixty thousand nearly. It's going to cost me three thousand. That three thousand of, of an increase is that what you're saying? Increase, yeah, increase per staff member. Three thousand one hundred increase per staff member, and I can't afford that. And I can categorically tell you here and now. At Christmas, I had twelve thousand euros in my bank account to keep my business going and pay my staff. And the re- revenue came in and took that money, and I had to take a loan out to pay my staff wages. And I know many providers and many people in small businesses in around Cork are all struggling in the same way as as our sector, except for we are tied into those fee freezes. It's crippling, absolutely crippling. Yeah, yeah. What was I presume that was tax that was due to the revenue, was it? Yeah, it yeah. was. Yeah, it was the three thirties for my staff. God, and uh, like, like we couldn't. Like you can't run a business that way. We can't make business decisions. We can't move forward, um, with government funding that is crippling this sector. It's absolutely crippling us. So, uh, I'm 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 trying to look down the line, as I'm sure you've tried to look as far as you possibly can. What what is there? Is the is there any hope at this stage? Um, gosh, I I, I wish I could say there is but unless government are going to listen and in particular the um, Department of Children um, and the civil servants they're the ones that make these rules and it's government policy and if government policy is to close down all small businesses across rural and urban Ireland well they're doing a really good job of it mm. because they're, they're certainly closing down the childcare sector slowly but surely and you know you're not going to get those big large services going into rural Ireland at any time you know, so parents are going to travel. They're going to struggle to get to work. It is going to take the women out of the workforce. There's no doubt about it. You know, like their their own in government's own rural document. You know, it it clearly states that you know their objective is to achieve the substan- sustainable development of rural areas, uh, to encourage local economic growth. Well, it's it's not working. Mm. You know, if, if if you look at five services in Cork alone in rural Cork. On Christmas week, on the 21st of December, closed down. There has to be a problem. And you look at the Irish Times today, you see that the schools now are calling a huge cry out for more funding for the public school system. You're looking at little cafes closing. The Irish Times have up online small cafes that are closing down and interviewing these, these wonderful people who have been forced out of business also. I mean, you've got to look at that. There's something is wrong mm-hmm. if, if government policy is not working for us. And is it because government policy is too slow to keep up with the, the, the rapid emergency here? Or, or is it just that they're making promises they're not keeping? 
I, I think I just don't think they're seeing the bigger picture. I don't think they're realizing that, you know, how much the cost of living really is per family. Like go and interview families in all different areas and, and walks of life in, in different counties and really do, you know, your I suppose, look and investigate, but they're not doing any of that. They're just ploughing along with policy. And when you're implementing three or four new um, schemes that are going to cost the employers more money, how are we to fund it? Mm. It's either going to be put on the customer, but for our sector, we can't put it on the customer because we're tied into fee freeze. We want government funding. So it's a vicious circle. You know, I, I always say to people at this point, you know, even, you know, I'm, I'm also speaking on behalf of, of a lot of SMEs here today, small businesses today, is like, don't go past your local shop, don't go past your local pharmacy, go into your local butchers, keep them open, keep them afloat, because it's so important that you keep all of our businesses going. Do you foresee having to close this year? I have a meeting with my accountant in two weeks' time, and I'm not looking forward to it, to be honest. Um, I've never, in all the years I've been in this sector, I've never struggled as much as I have this year. And I know I'm on behalf of many childcare services down in Cork. I, I know they can all understand and relate to what I'm saying. Um, did I struggle over Christmas? I didn't have a good Christmas because I worried about how I was going to come back into January, you know, having to pay all my staff their holiday pay after Christmas. Yeah, You know, when funding comes in from the government and parental fees start coming back in, but that's no way to run any business. You shouldn't be like literally working, you know, from week to week. You're supposed to, as any good accountant would tell you, have three months wages in your accounts at, at all times. In our sector, that is just, it's a non-runner. That just cannot happen. There, There isn't enough government funding there to keep us afloat. Um, I presume you've spoken to the elected representatives in your area. What are they saying to you? Um, I've spoken to many, many TDs. I've, I've spoken in the AV room in Leinster House as well. We've, we've, we've really raised the bar on, on the, our whole situation. But they go to the department and, and everybody gets the same letter back. All of the millions. You quote millions. It sounds wonderful. Break it down. And it's four cent extra an hour in core funding per child coming in and being implemented in next September. I mean, even for parents, you know, for the National Childhood Scheme, they gave them an extra um, couple of cents as well, but it's not coming in till next September. How is that helping the family? How is that helping our businesses? It's not. And parents aren't happy about that either, you know, and it's time that, you know, the providers and the, the parents all came together and worked together and really got government to listen because that's our only hope or you're just going to see many of us closing. You look at the UK, a massive chain closed down in the UK in the last 24 hours. They just didn't reopen because they couldn't because of the government schemes over there. And they're looking at implementing the schemes that we have here over in the UK. And I, I wish them the best of luck because if it's not working here, how is it going to work over there? Yeah. I was talking to Adrian Cummins there from the Restaurant Association of Ireland just before 11 o'clock. One thing we were talking about, and it's mentioned in that article in the Irish Times on small businesses, the likes of, of, of coffee shops and that, that business models that worked 10 years ago just don't work in this economy that the way they, they did. Is this an indication that the government is out of touch with what's happening? Yeah, I, I think they are definitely out of touch at this point. And, and look, I understand what government are trying to do, and we all get that. But you really need to sit down with the people on the ground. You know, there's all of these people speaking on our behalf up through government. But like, are they really listening? Like, we need people to really listen to what we're saying. I mean, all of these small businesses, they are, they are what makes a community. And communities are shutting down. 
and people will be forced to move out to those small rural areas in, in Ireland and move back to urban and at, at a huge cost to them just so they can get childcare, just so they can, you know, be able to live. And, and that's wrong. I mean, we're supposed to be working on that. Our, the government's own rural document clearly states that they want to keep rural Ireland afloat and keep it open and implement, oh, bring in all these new implementations. But like, where are they? Mm. We can't do it without the funds. Yeah, and we're now into the the, the, the countdown to the, the 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 local elections and the the general elections. So maybe it's yeah, a good, maybe it's a good time to 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 kind of grab them by the scruff of the neck and say, right, if you don't if you don't pay us, we won't vote for you. No, well, this is it, and I think it's not just only about the childcare sector. I, I think all sectors need to come together here. You know, because we're all we're all kind of flying our own kites and trying to keep going and keep going to government. But I think if every single sector came together and worked together and, you know, and maybe closed our doors and really showed them what it'd be like if we were all gone, maybe then government would have to listen to us. But right now, it, it just seems to be going on deaf ears. Yeah. Here's a, a text from Brian. He says, um, uh, he, he says, I just had to let six staff go before Christmas, and yet all I hear all morning on the news is the Taoiseach talking about a DART-type transport system for Cork achievable in the next five to ten years. What about my job? What about my staff? Well, this is it, you, you know, and, and I'm so sorry to hear that, and, and, and I feel sorry for Brian because it's very difficult difficult to, to let people go, but, you know, in the greater scheme of things, we don't have any choices anymore. Mm. Like, we have to close our doors and we have to start laying off staff. And then you've got redundancies and everything else that people can't afford. I had a message in this morning from one business owner, and it's not in the sector, in the childcare sector, it's true, it's me. And she just asked, she said, like, how do I close my business without having to pay 30,000 in redundancies that I don't have? Yeah. Yeah, people are worried about redundancies and everything, you know, and I know that's why a lot of small um, services have not closed up because they're saving the money to pay their staff the redundancies. Am I right in thinking that a lot of what they're discussing in Leinster House at the moment is becoming less relatable to the reality of what all of us are enduring here? Um, yeah, I, I just think you have a lot of people in there saying a lot of things, but maybe they need to bring us in and allow us have our say. Like a lot of small businesses go into the AV room. We all say it like, look, at you look at um, any of the other sectors that go in and we, we try and get our cases heard in Leinster House and it's all just blown out of proportion. And then the millions and millions and millions that they're putting into the different sectors, that that's always mentioned. But like we've continuously asked um, government, can we see a full breakdown of the Department of Children's funding where it goes to? And that's been going on now for nine months and we still have not received those documents to show us where all of the money goes because I can tell you one thing, it's not coming to us on the ground. And do you ever feel after one of those uh, um, Eroctus sessions that you, you, you're wasting your time talking to these people? We went in and um, I spoke in the Eroctus community before Christmas and I really felt that um, they were listening. But then the Department of Children were brought in the week later and I just felt so deflated. And I know many people here, you know, in, in our sector felt very deflated after the answers because, again, they, they quoted millions and millions and it, it made us out to be just making stuff up. I mean, we're not going in there and fighting for our lives for nothing. You're fighting to survive in the business. In the business, as, as Brian said there, that was very successful before government came on board. We were all very successful business people before the government started to implement all their policies and bring in all these different schemes and, and underfund us and undercut us and force us into a fee freeze. Yeah. 
a story I heard before Christmas. Um, uh, a very popular pub in Dublin which would be very well known and I won't name it because I know the owners but they ran a very very successful lunch business where they were serving hot foods and full meals and then they were subjected to a government inspection and the inspector said uh, this is not on despite the fact that you could eat the food off the kitchen floor it was so clean and they've now not just lost their lunchtime trade but they've also lost a lot of their custom throughout the day and night Oh my god so I think the point you're making there about, you know, once the government came in and got their hands on your business, that was when the thing began to go downhill. Isn't, is, and that is yeah, the case, it, isn't it? Yeah, it's just, yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Since government have come in with their schemes, I mean, if you look at the early childhood care and education scheme, 69 euros a week per child, and then you get core funding on top of that, it still doesn't cut it. It doesn't bring it up to where you need to be to survive in the business and pay your staff high wages and, and look after all your costs. You know, it, it just isn't working. I mean, I would have said that I'm a very, very good businesswoman and have I have been for many, many years. But to see my business going downhill because of government funding and our lack of, should I say, is wrong. You know, and to struggle, you know, to, to explain to your staff that you actually can't afford to give them all of their holiday pay, that you can give them one week, but you can't give them the second week until they actually come back into work on the 8th of January. Mm. The Taoiseach said last week, a few days ago, actually, that he, he doesn't see any, he doesn't foresee any problems in getting back into government. But how can he make a statement like that if, you know, I'm here talking to you now this morning and you're representing so many people in your sector that are completely on their knees and, and yet he comes out I, with what many people would regard as quite a blasé statement. Um, I didn't hear the statement. Um, I, I'd like to see what um, documentation he has to back up what he's saying, though. Well, there's no documentation ahead of an election, that's <laughs> Exactly. Because, sure. yeah. no, no, I mean, you know, I mean, he must know something that we don't in behind the scenes. <laughs> because I don't know where or how anyone can, like, how can anyone say that they're going to get voted in again until the actual day of the, the polling? Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's it's a very blasé statement to make if, you know, you haven't, come down to the level of the people on the ground and realise, actually, we really are in trouble here. Yeah. We really, really are in trouble. Small businesses are in serious trouble. And it doesn't matter what documentation, like our rural document that government put out, any of those documents, they are words on a piece of paper. Mm. Because the reality on the ground for many small businesses, not just our sector, it's very serious. We're unsustainable and unviable businesses. Yeah. Oh, uh, what a start to the new year. And and I, there are quite a number of texts from co- other individuals, Elaine, very similar, saying that they didn't sleep over Christmas. They thought they were getting sick over Christmas, but in fact it was stress and anxiety ahead of yeah. a morning like this morning where things are slowly beginning to return. But not to normal, because I think that n- normal is gone. Um, you, you know, the whole myth of normal is it's just not something that we'll ever see in 2024. And and then you have parents who are looking to get their children onto waiting lists for creches. That's another additional problem and another additional anxiety. No, absolutely. And I, I feel very sorry for parents out there today trying to get out to work, because if we're gone, they, they have no hope of actually being able to go out and and earn a wage to keep their household going. Look, we all know the cost of living has crippled families all over the country as well. So, you know, I suppose this is where government really need to see that all the whole country comes together on this and says, look, this is not working for us anymore. 
Yeah. What is going on? All of these policies that have been implemented, understandably, they're trying to catch up with the EU, get it. But like, you've got to think of the reality on the ground. And the reality is, uh, you know, opening up businesses after Christmas on, you know, the 2nd of, of, of January. It's probably one of the hardest days for, for employers reopening, in particular in, in the, the small business sector, you know, today reopening. I, I, I have had many sleepless nights over Christmas along with everybody else and it's no way to live. Anxiety levels sky high. Being Going to GPs and, and being told that, that like you're completely stressed out. Of course we're completely stressed out. Yeah. You know, and anxiety can hit your body in a lot of different ways and we all need to be very careful of that very and true. mind ourselves. And, yeah. You know, and be very mindful. Elaine, thank you for joining us this morning and uh, I, I really hope that there's a, a, a glimmer of light somewhere in the next few weeks for, for you and for everybody else. I'll let you know. Yeah, please do. Yes, thank you. <laughs> All right, thanks, thank, thank you. you. That's uh, Elaine done there. Um, now, Stella saying, I'm school principal and the stress has started this morning even though I'm not back with the pupils till next Monday. Uh, I feel it for Elaine and I feel it for so many other people, not just in the education sector but right across society today. Um, I I don't know. I think the I, I sort of sometimes wonder: Will the general election at the end of this year show us any sort of a different result? I think it probably will, but I do think that there's a core element of voters who will want things to remain exactly as they are because they're not affected by the issues that we're discussing here this morning. Um, they're they're mostly comfortably retired. And that's a that's a term you don't hear of um, among younger generations today. There's no such thing as retirement for a lot of people that I know, and there's no such thing as comfort in any sense whatsoever. As Elaine demonstrated there this morning, in 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 her feelings about not being able to sleep and not being able to enjoy something as special as Christmas, and dreading the idea that January first is literally upon us, and we're now into a month and no one knows what's going to happen. It's just extraordinary to know what will happen. Gareth O'Callaghan. And here on the opinion line today and tomorrow, PJ back on Thursday. Now, uh, the weather department here at Cork's 96FM has just told me that we're in for a little bit of a high-pressure run for the next four or five days. High, beautiful, clear blue skies, bit frosty in the mornings, but that lovely bracing cold January feel to it. So I think if you saw what we were looking out the window at this morning and yesterday, uh, I'll I'll go for the, uh, the former any day. Plenty of sunshine, plenty of good clean air as well. Now, we all sense food prices are going up and up at the till. We were only having this conversation yesterday. But you might be very surprised to find out exactly how much they've risen by. Anne-Marie, the Irish budgeting mammy, has been crunching some numbers and she's on the line right now. Morning to you, Anne-Marie. Good morning. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Uh, you know, I only had this conversation uh, over the weekend because um, I was in Dublin for a good bit of the weekend and I was in and out of a couple of different supermarkets and there used to be a time when it was noticeable price differences and how much you were saving and how much you were spending over and above where you might shop, but that's not the case anymore, is it? No, absolutely not. I find um, there's no budget supermarkets anymore. Um, when I go into standard supermarket or budget supermarket, I'm still coming out 200 euros short. That, that's what mm. it feels like every time I go in. And, I mean, speaking of the budget supermarket, uh, uh, th- th- there was a time when you could go to the, the normal established brand supermarket brand I mean by you know the traditional brands that we've known down through decades um, and you would spend well let's say in, in, in the cheaper supermarket you could spend a quarter 
of what you'd spend in the more expensive supermarket. Absolutely. Um, I always was a person to shop in the budget supermarkets. I have four kids, so I have loads of amounts to feed. But now it makes absolutely no difference. It's the same amount. That's what that's what I feel. And that's what I kind of when I look back through the figures, that's what's coming up. What's going up? That's that's everything. Yeah. <laughs> you know, even something like I know there's a thing like that I like to buy. It's a duck thing. That was four ninety nine a couple of years ago. And now it's I think it's nearly 10 euro. So yeah. everything's kind of doubled. A duck thing is that for for the loo? No, no, no! It's something to eat. It's a it's, it's a duck um, starter. <laughs> but it, it was it used to be one of my Sorry. treats. <laughs> <laughs> it was kind of like a family treat, and um, but now you know it, it's gone up so so. I know it's not the duck. It's not no, the sorry, duck, I'm talking no. about the yeah, for unblocking the loo. <laughs> oh no, no, it's not toilet duck. <laughs> Emer saying it's no. not toilet duck. <laughs> and and like walking along um supermarket I like um Aldi you go in and immediately you're into the uh the, the, the you go in you you turn right and you're into the chocolates and sweets department yes. so immediately you're you're you've 12 13 euros spent already even they're getting more expensive everything's getting more expensive. The only way I found to keep my costs down a little bit is online shopping and getting it delivered simply because I'm, I can go through it when I get to the checkout. If I see a really big cost and go back and take out all the things like the sweets are costing a fortune. But even at that, it's still very expensive. Um, I went, I always track all my spending, especially with categories. And three years ago, my spending was, I think it was five and a half thousand for shopping throughout the year. This year, it was, it's, it's nearly 10,000. Wow. And we're not eating as much. And I've, I've won in college, even though he lives at home, he eats in college. So it's not like, you know, I'm, I'm cooking a little bit less this year than I've ever cooked. But simply the costs just continuously rise. And it's it's very worrying when yeah. it's going to stop. Yeah. One of the things I've, I've heard now, I was talking to somebody about this, they're, they're into supermarket retail. They say that's what's selling like hotcakes off the shelves at the moment are the ready-made... Uh, microwave heated dinners. Yes, they are. And did you know what? I, I've kind of bought some of them this year because they're quite cheap. You know, you yeah. can pick one of them up for like two euro, but they're not good for us. Do you know what I mean? It, it's kind of like I, I said on my page that I could cook um, chicken nuggets and chips mm-hmm. and it'd be half the price than sitting down and cooking a dinner with vegetables, meat and the whole thing. It's it's just, it's it's worrying because it's very bad for our health, obviously, but I remember when I was a child, if you got chicken nuggets and chips, it was a treat because it was kind of a more expensive meal. So it's, it's, I know there's a lot of people struggling and that's the worrying part when, like, I know my wages haven't rose to meet how much my, my food shopping costs have rose. So like, I feel like I'm spending most of my money on food. Yeah. And it is, it, I think everybody's in such a hurry these days. I find that if I'm coming through Houston Station in Dublin, catching the train home to Cork, uh, you can go in. There are a couple of beautiful salads and fresh food shops there. But it, it's, it's often easier just to run into Supermax, isn't it? And just catch yourself something like, a oh, a chicken burger and, and maybe a large chips. Have them on the train. Yeah. And you're saving money. Yeah. You are saving money and that that's the worrying part of, you know, our health. How's it going to end up with? Mm. It's cheaper to eat rubbish than it is good food. But in general, all the supermarket costs have completely continuously rose, risen throughout the past two years. And it's very worrying. When, where is it going to stop? Because people are really struggling. You know, they're very, you know, they're spending all their money on food, 
because or that they're not because they, they want to do other things or pay bills, you know, that kind of way. So then they're buying cheaper things. When you go into Tesco, I, I, I like we we tend to kind of shop around an awful lot. And, and like luckily where we are, we've got a good few different supermarkets around us. Like Tesco, you get to, you, you can pick up the little zapper thing and wander around yes. the shop. Now, my wife is sh- certain that by using that, by using your Tesco club card zapper, you you could save say on on a shop of one hundred euro you could save up to twenty five euro. Yes, if you would get the special offers with the Tesco club cards. Because I shop in Tesco now, so I know that. Yeah. But even at that, um, when I went to I shopped in Tesco this week. When I went to the counter, the lady it was a t- it wasn't even a big trolley, and I got all yellow stickers. I got all the special offers, and literally she goes, "Good job, you have your Tesco club card," because it was still one hundred and eighty five euro. Wow. Um. So y- yeah. yeah. And there's nothing. There's no sweets or anything in that. But I was trying to buy vegetables, fruit and vegetables, because I've got arthritis. You know, to kind of bring down the inflammation. And then I was going, I can't afford to eat all this. Do you know that it's actually good for my health. I can't, you know, I can't keep before I can't keep buying the for the good stuff because it's so expensive. Yeah, and in the budget supermarkets, the the I found the fruit and veg used to be so much cheaper than it is now. Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, it's gone up. It's it's I, it's there's not a massive difference. I still end up if I go into a supermarket, come to the counter, I mean, close to two hundred euro, regardless of where I shop. Yeah, yeah, and um. One of our callers is just saying Dunn's vouchers are great. Ten euro back for every fifty you spend. Yes, um, a lot of people tell me that I don't shop in Dunn simply because they won't deliver to me. <laughs> where, where my address is? Yeah. yeah, I'm too far out in the sticks for them, so it don't come my way. That's the only reason I don't go to Dunn's, yeah. um, because I I like to use my vouchers with Tesco, so I kind of stick to Tesco now. But I always used to use the other supermarkets, Aldi or Lidl. Always use them, and now it's the same price, so there's no point. Yeah, yeah, I think. Um, uh Clannacilty has a great Dunn stores there. Actually, I, I was in it a couple of times. Um, it's just I'm I'm kind of drawn. I, I love these vouchers. I love saving vouchers. I love being given a, yeah. a new voucher so that you can. That's you know, in a week's time, there's going to be another fifteen euro or whatever off the shopping. Um, yes, it, it is. And this is something, as I say, I was talking about over the weekend. Is this just a gimmick, or are you actually saving money? In terms of, you know, getting vouchers or the club cards or the incentives to go to budget supermarkets, is everything effectively, at the end of the day, still as costly? Um, I find the thing I like now about I don't, I don't like to advertise any supermarket or yeah. anything like that because I'm not linked with anybody. But I do find with the vouchers you are kind of saving money, and especially with the special prices on the club card kind of things. Whereas the budget supermarkets don't really have good deals do you know what I mean they don't kind of do that kind of thing so it's for me like you I like to see that I've saved a bit of money Um, one of the things I got was a big roast beef and it was half price if you had a club card do you know kind of things like that but that's kind of brilliant. a good incentive yeah, yes that's yeah, very a, very good and did you find coming like up that. to coming up to Christmas now a couple of weeks back was it more expensive say than far more expensive than last year um, yes, it was. Um, Christmas in general, I find it's getting more expensive because of teenagers. Oh, right, <laughs> um, okay, yeah. but, Bigger yeah, bellies, but, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, but it was. I know I didn't buy much sweets this year. That's the first year I didn't buy a load of sweets and have them kind of put put to one side. So my my shopping was no cheaper than when I was last year when I was buying the, buying the, the sweets stuff. Right, okay. It's fast, yeah, so it's I, I do yeah. think, yeah. Yeah. Every year it's kind of creeped up. Now, my shopping... 
in the in 2023 was 2,000 more expensive than my shopping in 22 and so on. It's, it just keeps it's creeping massively up every year. Yeah. And what's the, what, if, if you don't mind me asking, what do you tend to avoid buying when you go into the supermarket? Sweets. Sweets, fizzy drinks, <laughs> all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Right. We've <laughs> Unless en- it's a big special offer. <laughs> we have enough tins of roses to do us till July. So <laughs> yes. <laughs> anyway, great to talk to you, Anne-Marie. Thanks a lot. Okay, thanks for having me. Thank, Thank you. Thank you, Marie Gaynor there, Irish budgeting mammy. And you'll find her on Instagram with uh, lots of useful advice and tips there. Um, interesting about the vouchers. Uh, one, somebody just, uh, Phil, saying here, um, I, I love getting the vouchers, but I can never remember where I put them. I just pop them into my wallet and, and leave them there. Um, and, of course, I, I obviously automatically give my wallet to my wife as soon as I get home so she knows <laughs> she knows where they are. Speaking of which, where's my wallet? Gareth O'Callaghan here on the opinion line for PJ Coogan, who's back on Thursday with you, 0833 96 96 96. Now, Selena mentioned earlier on uh, about her car being spray-painted while she was actually parked up in Douglas, uh, dropping her daughter off, um, and three young kids approached the car. Um, and I was reminded of a story, actually, over the weekend of a coming back, as I always do, through Houston Station in Dublin on the Cork train, coming home on Christmas Eve. And I was chatting to a couple of the guys at the ticket gate and I was just saying, will you get out early? And they said, yeah, we'll get out about uh, nine or ten, but then the security moves in for the next couple of days. And he was telling me that the reason they have security, despite all the trains being locked up, is that they get a gang of spray painters who come down the line from a number of housing areas further up the line into the station, because as you know, you regularly use the trains, uh, the, the, the departure area of the train station can't be locked up. They come in and they cause, I think they caused 750,000 euros in damage last year in the space of three or four hours where they spray painted uh, most of the intercity trains that were parked up and everybody had been gone, had gone away for their Christmas break. So they had to employ security this year. So to the best of my knowledge, there was no spray painting, so it worked. But um, it wasn't as costly as last year, that's for sure. Um, now, just talking to Owen Curry there about flights and about nice places to visit in the miserable months of January and February. Ken says, ask Owen, why is it so expensive to get anywhere out of Ireland? I don't think it is, Ken. I think if you look online, or indeed if you go into any of the travel agencies around Cork, they'll be delighted to help you find the cheapest and nicest places to stay. Daniel says, great tips this morning from Owen Curry. I cannot wait to get abroad this summer. Well... I'm hoping I don't have to wait till summer. I mentioned Fuerteventura, uh, the the newer of all the well-known Canary Islands. Um, and the the flights, I think, are back on from the 1st of March out of Cork Airport, for anybody interested. It's a beautiful island. I visited it back in 1986. Um, happened to be working as a, a nightclub DJ in Lanzarote. And uh, on, the, on our day off, a gang of us headed out on a boat trip to, Lanzar- to Fuerteventura, which at that stage was literally like the islands that Tom Cruise ended up on, or Tom Hanks ended up on a castaway. There was nothing on it apart from uh, some indigenous little parishes and that with little houses and tiny little... Um, the, the sort of stuff you'd probably... The, the types of houses you'd see maybe in 
the, the old West Indies and that, out in, around the Bahamas and that. Beautiful, beautiful island. And it, it is a little bit more built up now. Uh, Corvieca is the capital of it and that's where all the madness is. But there are some magnificent places if you want a, a, a solitary, isolated holiday. There are loads of lovely places. Um, not just there, but also, as Owen Curry said, all over the Canary Islands. Now, a dog is for life, but not everyone thinks like that, sadly. And then it's left to people with a heart to pick up the pieces. And that's exactly what My Lovely Horse Rescue did over Christmas for a very brave little pooch called Maeve. Martina Kenny, the co-founder, is on the line to tell us what's been happening. Happy New Year to you, Martina. I'd say it's been a busy one. Happy New Year to you. Yeah, it certainly has been a very, very busy one. Very scary out there. Really? Can you tell me a little bit more about what you've seen over the last couple of weeks? Um, well, we thought before we thought after Christmas would be re- really bad, but before Christmas ended up insane with dogs, like with horses as well and other animals, but with dogs especially, because we are right smack bang in the middle of a dog crisis and um and and i don't think everybody realizes it but every single pound in the country and every single rescue are so full you know people are just it's just ridiculous and and rescues are scared they're scared like what comes next because there are no places like we're making places for dogs at the moment um basically just begging for people to to feel sorry for us and them and take them in as fosterers we're relying on the general public constantly and it's scary because a lot of the dogs we take in are emergencies so um, they're all sick and something's wrong and but God loved them you can't leave them on the side of the street you know you just can't when you say sick is it malnutrition or are, are there diseases yeah. that they have before Christmas we took well one is May if we're going to talk about uh, we, we've taken ones that are emaciated um, and this is right right up to Christmas Eve um, and puppies, puppies had been basically hadn't been sold, so were thrown out. We took a, a little dashed mum, very very sick because she was overbred. Um, and her one son was found, um, just running around scared in the freezing cold, and he was emaciated, and he's only about ten weeks old. Um, so obviously weren't sold for Christmas, thrown out, no good to them anymore. She's she's not having babies any any longer she's about eight and um and this is and this is not just puppy farms or puppy factories as we call them um this is back back garden puppy farm factories as well people think oh yeah breed few dogs for christmas great bit of money but they don't think this is a living creature you know it's so sad I came across across a case a couple of years back where uh somebody publicly advertised that uh, th- that the, the the dog they had was about to, I, I think they, they it was the, the dog was going to give birth to five or six puppies. Now these were thoroughbreds, and yeah. people could give one hundred euro to enter a draw to oh, see yeah. who would get yeah. the six puppies. And you you paid one hundred to get into the draw, but then if you were lucky enough to be a recipient of one of the pups, you had to pay another five hundred each. <sighs> There you go. 
Yeah. And like during COVID, people paid thousands. They paid thousands for sick dogs. Like we had dogs coming in after COVID that they said, uh, oh, I paid like 2,000 euro. And they said it was a miniature Jack Russell. You know, it was really bred well. I met them in, you know, a garage in some dodgy oh. place. And uh, the, the little Jack Russell ended up being a greyhound because oh deceivingly right. enough, greyhounds do. And lurchers look like tiny little Jack Russells when they're yeah. babies, you know. So, Oh, it's just, it's just terrible. We have a, a very cruel society out there, yeah. you know, and, and it's not only to animals, it's to people too. It's it's awful. It's really awful. Ireland yeah. has just, I don't know what's happened. I, I'd love to wonder if they could do some research on it, whether you could equate the, uh, the cruelty to dogs to the mentality of the humans who actually have them and breed them. Yeah. Is Absolutely, it could. Yeah, yeah. there's, there's, there's other problems there. It's, it's a serious social problem. Yeah. Um, I absolutely would agree with that, and we've seen it ourselves. We've seen, you know, children. I, I've looked into the eyes of some children that are only eleven and twelve, and, and honest to God, there's nothing but badness in them. And you're t- kind of thinking, and you feel so sad for them because you're like, these children are brought up with no empathy they're not taught empathy mm. they've just seen the dog being kicked around you know god knows what else being kicked around and they just they just you know they just see bad stuff themselves the whole time that there's no there's no help for them and it's very very sad and i think our, our society is becoming more like that every day and it's 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 a downfall in ireland you know yeah i would agree martina tell us about little mave yeah, well, poor Maeve was found uh, in Tullamore um, and she luckily was seen um, kind of staggering up a road uh, with with something on her head or and all coming down her face. The, the poor woman couldn't figure out what. She was emaciated, like so skinny, um, bones sticking out. She was literally staggering along. Um, and this lady coaxed her into her garden, shut the gate and kind of coaxed her into the back garden and held her there and, and couldn't even go near her. She was so terrified. Like she said, she was just shaking. So she called a few places, um, the larger, uh, larger, I suppose, rescue organizations mm-hmm. and nobody answered. Um, but we have, we've basically, you know, we're, we're, we're right through the whole Christmas and, and we never ignore people. So they got in contact with us and, um, we immediately got in contact with uh, one of our vets who said take them in immediately and that was in uh, Tipperary, um, Southview Vets, uh, Alan, lovely man and lovely vet and uh, he said right get her down to me straight away. We knew they had the, the machinery to, to make sure, you know, to check her head and everything. Yeah. Basically, this dog had a wound on her head that was... Well, first of all, we thought either a gunshot or something very, very sharp. We've we've now come to the conclusion, and our vets have, that it was an axe of some type. So whoever whoever tried to kill her, they actually meant to kill her. She was not supposed to survive this. She obviously got away, ran, and this her the the infection was in there then for a couple of days. So um, a serious infection was starting on her it, right into the whole head, and um, oh, it was pretty gruesome um and it had gone right to her skull like uh, they they got two pieces of her skull a bone of her skull out as well so they cleaned it up they've done x-rays we thought maybe she could be brain damaged but so far it's looking good she will be in the vets for a long time because it has to now there's such a huge part of her head gone just missing gone and um, that 
you know, she's still very open to infection, so she can't leave for a long while. And she's still not out of the woods. Like, yeah. she's now starting to wag her tail, which is the cutest thing in the world, because she was terrified. And um, she's sort of kind of, you know, slightly plain. I did a little video of her the other day, just running down the hallway at the vets. <sighs> um, so she's starting to trust people again, God love her. And um, it's just a heartbreaking story. And and the sad part is, it's not the only one, you know. No. Maeve was very, very lucky. She fell on all four paws when she staggered up that right road. Oh, yeah. Um, please let us know how she gets on, will you? Absolutely. Martin, we will, absolutely. Yeah. And I hope, I genuinely hope it's a quieter January than it has been a, a Christmas. No, afraid. The first no, one came in yesterday, so oh, it's dear. not. <laughs> well, look, it's please, it, it's always lovely yeah. to talk to you, and it's great to hear the good news stories as well, so oh, thanks. Oh, absolutely. So great thank you, and thank you to everybody for all the support as well. So thank, thank, you. thank you. Thank you, Martina. Right. And uh, uh, We'll be thinking of Maeve, brave little doggy. Uh, Martina Kenny, their co-founder of My Lovely Horse Rescue. Uh, that's just about it. Today's show edited by Emer O'Hay, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. Thanks to Wayne in the Desk. Back with you tomorrow. Tomorrow morning at nine. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.